Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Back in New York City after a very, very successful trip down to Austin, Texas for South by Southwest. And to recap it, I figured let's just go through a bunch of categories and say what our favorite things of this entire trip were. Is that good for you? That's good for me. I have not seen the categories. All right. And let's not double up on anything. If you have one answer, I will pick something totally different. Cool? Favorite app. Favorite app. This is going to be tough for you because the reason that we went down there is we were flown down by the app Station Head. <laughs> shout, shout out to our friends at Station Head. That's Ryan and Murray and Eli and Serena and the whole team. Station Head is an app that we've been fucking with for a few months. Mm -hmm. And what you do is you run your own radio station using your Spotify or Apple Music account. Very dope. And you can also do interviews on there. You can talk to the audience that you've accrued in there. Yeah, there's um, a chat room or you can call different people and it's honestly crystal clear. You hold your phone near you, away from you. It sounds like... It's live radio. It's crazy. Yeah, and so we were doing interviews with people like Nardwar. Um, we interviewed Oz Cohen from 300. We interviewed uh, Andrew, Andrew Barber, Barber from Fake Shore Drive. A few others. Like it was, it was just a Jay very, Worthy. yeah, yeah, very dope app experience. And and you um, know what? Yeah. I, and this is not because they flew us down. This is honestly true. Stationhead was the talk of this festival. Everywhere we went, people were talking about it. They sponsored the Good Music House. It was really cool to be a part of this wave, and we were really, you know, thrilled that they that they brought us down there to be advocates on their behalf. Yeah, for sure. And also, it should be said, now it is actually open to the public, and so you can follow us on there at it's the real. Just one more place where you can follow us <laughs> so and wait, hear so our voices. If you go to the if you go to the iTunes store or or the app store, whatever it's called now, you can download Stationhead for free. Yeah. And sign up and own and operate your own pirate radio station. You can download it for free, but send us five hundred dollars. There anyway. you go. You said station head. I'm gonna go with Uber. Okay. Because Uber was not around last year. No. So it was much easier for us to get to the airport this year. Last year, and this is true, we ended up on a separate tarmac at a different airport. We don't know what was going on. It was very strange, but I'm glad that Uber is around this year. Favorite performance of South by Southwest? Uh we saw a bunch, so I'm gonna name a bunch. Okay. Okay. So I'm gonna start with JPEG Mafia. He was great. Who was so intense and yeah. so good and so funny. That was at the Move Forward Music Pigeons and Planes show. Yeah, their 10-year anniversary for right. Move Forward Music. Yeah. And that was so intense. He hates Morrissey. And has a song about it. Has a song about it. I would also say Ray Shremmerd was great. Uh -huh. SOB RBE was great. They were both at Fader Fort. Um, but if I'm being really honest with myself. Yeah. The best performance I saw while at South by Southwest was Jesus and Mero completely dismantling mm. DJ Envy. <laughs> On Breakfast Club and also on uh, Viceland. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. I would go with Just Blaze's set at the Mass Appeal Live at the Barbecue, which was at Stubbs, because we're in a conversation talking with some friends, and we hear Just drop a Beanie Siegel record, and we're like, who is rapping over this Beanie Siegel record? Beanie Siegel. So it, that was amazing to see because uh, you and I had never seen him live. Yeah. I mean, the thing about South by Southwest is that it's a bunch of industry people who have all seen everything. And so it was so nice to actually see something and be excited about it and, and to run over to the stage and be like, oh, my God, like it's actually it's actually Beanie Siegel. Favorite random sighting at South by Southwest? Trinidad James. There you go. Trinidad James, who we saw at the Fader Fort. Well, explain the circumstances, though. So, Johnny Nunez... He wasn't performing. <laughs> no. Johnny Nunez 
uh, comes up behind us. Johnny Nunez is the photographer that we've had on this podcast. For anybody who hasn't heard that episode, they should go right now and listen to that. And so the way that Johnny Nunez works is that he will position you where he wants you to be positioned. And he comes up and he's like, and suddenly Eric has Johnny's plate of food in his hand. And Johnny takes his picture of me, Eric, and Trinidad James. Who, you know, we've never met. And all of a sudden, we're just standing with him in between us. And, and Johnny's like, food in my hand. And Trinidad James is like, good to see you again. And honestly, <laughs> we don't remember ever seeing him. But you know what? What a moment. What Captured a moment. forever. Yeah. Three friends hanging out in the wild. Us and Trinidad James. I would say that. My favorite random sighting would be Johnny Shipes in okay. our hotel lobby at 4 a.m. <laughs> we we got back from the good music house and I looked to my right and I'm like that guy looks like Johnny Shipes but it can't be and he turns around and guess what it's Johnny Shipes with a whole bunch of water and snacks that he just bought from the lobby and and we had a we had a half conversation with him we yeah. got in the elevator he was you know maybe like 10 floors above us or whatever we were on eight and we get in the elevator and some other dude gets on and in the middle of our conversation we 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 Got to our floor. Yeah. And that was it. Favorite conversation. Our new friend, Fonsworth Bentley. He's our best friend. He's our best friend. Shout out to Fonsworth Bentley, who DJ Enough introduced us to. And, you know, you meet someone, you don't know if they're going to, like, feel your vibe, if they're going to, like, take to you. Apparently, Fonsworth is best friends with us now, which is so awesome because... We figured we were just going to say hello, say, hey, we'd love to have you on the podcast at some time, trade information or something. Mm -hmm. But this was, he was like, oh, you got a story? I got a story. You got a story? I got a story. You got a story? I got a story. And every time we saw him, it was all love. We saw him for like three days straight. It was amazing. Yes. Shout out to Fonsworth Bentley, man. Yeah, wait, actually, is that your favorite? Sure, I'll, that Fonsworth Bentley will be mine. Okay, I'm going to say then our conversation with Nardwar. That was a great conversation too. Our Nardwar conversation, um, which is- what part? Well- Probably the part where he told us about a friend who somehow slipped a mason jar into Jason Priestley's toilet back in like 1992 and kept the urine and kept the urine. That's it. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also uh, had great conversations with Mark, the Uber driver. Yep. Who told us about his kid's weed empire and mm -hmm. how there's uh, three different types of people that you can trust. Well, it, it's three three things in life. Okay. Yeah, so he What's said, the first one? First one is children because they'll say, you know, you have a booger in your nose. Okay, so they'll tell the truth, right? Yeah. Second one is drunk people. Okay. Oh, yeah, because there's no inhibition, right? Right. They'll say, I love you or I hate you, and they mean it. And the third? The third is yoga pants. Yoga pants. Shout yeah. out to Mark, the Uber driver. Mark was a real creep. And then uh, I loved catching up with John Monopoly after 10 years. That was great seeing him at the Good Music House. That's uh, Kanye's former manager. He manages Valet, the artist, on Good Music now. Mm -hmm. How about Jay Worthy's manager saying that he was going to fly from L.A. to our Rockefeller show at Highline last summer because he's such a huge fan and worked for Rockefeller on Jay's first album. Yeah, shout out to Mark Breezy. Unbelievable. Favorite flight. Favorite flight. We had two flights, so you pick one, I'll pick the other. Favorite flight to or from South by Southwest. I would say the second flight. The one coming home. The one coming home because that one we were put in Comfort Plus. Well... And so we had extra leg room, which is very necessary when you are as tall as I am. This is true. Also, the fact that Questlove, oh, yeah. Questlove was, was on our flight. On our flight. He was two rows in front of us. And said hello to us. He did, and he was like, and we let him know that Fonte was going to be on the podcast, and he was like, I can't wait until I do mine. So we're looking forward to that. Always great to see our friend Questlove. Yeah, also we had Nur on our flight. It was Shout like, I liked, I liked that flight because it was a lot of our friends were on that flight with All right. us. Well, yeah. we also, I'll pick the other flight where we flew down with another bunch of our friends. Yeah. That's Alchemist. Mm-hmm. 
Mark DeJesus, mm-hmm. and Action Bronson. Yeah, that whole team. It was just unexpected to see them because I'm looking down at my shoes. I'm just like, I just want to get on this flight, get down to Austin, Texas. I don't want to deal with any other human beings. And I see these Yeezys walk up to me, and I was like, who is this? And I look up, and it's Mark, and then it's Alchemist, and then it's Action. And, and they're hilarious. We had some great conversation, and they invited us to their show that night, which was Extremely nice of them. Okay, my favorite part of that conversation, though, which yeah. you did not mention, yeah. is that those three people, yes. two of them only use carry-ons yes. every single time. Which, and- by the way, that's what we do, too. Just in and out. You don't have to wait for the baggage. Yeah, but Alchemist, for some reason, <laughs> always checks his luggage. Alchemist is bougie, as everybody knows. Just a lot of luggage. And so everybody has to wait around for Alchemist. I, w- I want to imagine that he has matching luggage. Yeah. Favorite meal at South by Southwest? My favorite meal was the one that we chose to go to when we ended up not... Like, we left a bunch of shows early on Saturday night and went home, mm-hmm. and I had a power bar and a water, and, and I went it. to sleep. That was it. Yeah. What I was going to pick was our trip to La Barbecue. Oh, well, no, I knew you were going to pick La Barbecue. Okay. That's why I was like, you want to know what? I'm going to be generous here, (laughs) and I'm going to give you that. La Barbecue is the dopest barbecue. Yeah. Everything on that plate was just outstanding. We had so much food. It was unbelievable. Shout out to Oz Cohen for putting us onto that. Favorite rumor? Favorite rumor was... A lot of rumors at South by Southwest. Why don't you go first? I I have a great rumor that... Okay, I have two rumors. Okay, I'm going to say when we were at the Good Music House, all the people who thought that... Kanye West was going to show up mm-hmm. is my favorite rumor because guys, Kanye's in Wyoming. Kanye's recording his new album. There's pictures everywhere with him and basically all of good music. Kanye is not coming to hang out with us. <laughs> yeah, no. Like there were there were I mean, listen, it was a fun party. It was a great party. But but, but guys, I would say there were two rumors. One was that I worked or lived at that house. Oh, really? Yeah, because some guy came over and I'd opened up a closet to like get some water yeah and some guy was like uh <laughs> you got any beer <laughs> and i go what and he's like you got any beer did you get him a go, beer no i oh, don't live or a, work here you're a terrible host and this is not a rumor okay but we'll my, still count it whatever yeah, yeah. my favorite blind item oh. my favorite mystery yeah yeah was, I, know, I know you're yeah yeah that eric sunderman mm-hmm. of noisy yeah Saw a famous rapper, correct, use the restroom, okay, and not wash his hands. So, don't shake hands with famous rappers. That's that's what you learned from that. Favorite quote? I'm gonna say I'll go first. Okay, I'm gonna say anything that our friend Amira Bassi said, mm-hmm. or anything that our friend Dom Maldonado said. Mm. Like they just dropped. Jewels after jewels after jewels. Two of our great friends, great industry people who are not. Like, quote-unquote, industry. My favorite quote would probably be, um, do you uh, got any beer? (laughs) (laughs) Or, wash your hands. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hey. Um, Favorite piece of swag from South by Southwest. So everybody is trying to give you stuff at South by Southwest. Um, I tried not to take too much. I took a ping pong paddle from the Good Music House. As did I. Which you were supposed to. It's not like we, like, stole them. Oh, I honestly, I honestly didn't know if that was allowed or not. I was like, we are just going to like stick this under our shirts and run. Oh, no, no. Those were like, you were supposed to take oh, those. thank God. But the I thing is <laughs> that I was talking to a good music rep before and uh-huh. he said um, that he would send us one. I said, no, no, no. I already got one. What I need is a ping pong table. Mm. So if somebody could send us a ping pong table mm-hmm. for our apartment, 
that would be preferable. Jeff, I'm going to say the Beats by Dre headphones that we were gifted at the Beats Fader Fort, which was awesome and yep. so nice of them. Mm-hmm. And by the way, my favorite thing was when they gave headphones to Jeff, he goes, oh, great, I'm going to sell these. <laughs> but <laughs> they the, did not find that funny. The actual truth is that we gifted them, I, we re-gifted them yeah. to fans of ours. So shout out to Javier Martinez yep. and shout out to Coldway. We gave those headphones to them. They were most excited about it and they were in Austin and we definitely didn't want to go through TSA and pack these into our already packed suitcases. Right. And I mean, like, you know, we already have a ton of Beats by Dre headphones. We do and we love them and they're great. Yeah. We just don't need two more pairs. Right. And finally, Jeff, as we all know, South by Southwest is filled with corporations and corporate folks. And I need to know from you what your favorite sponsor is. Well, you go first because I've got a grudge. All right. Well, I'm going to go in an unconventional way. I'm going to say my favorite sponsor is the one and only Syracuse University, home to the Orange, who have now made it to the Sweet 16, and they did not let me down. It's been an amazing run, and we're not done yet, and it's my favorite part of South by Southwest. We were standing online at TSA while I was monitoring my phone, and man, the game went down to free throws in the last second, and then a long heave all the way full court, which did not go in for Michigan State. Syracuse won, and it made that trip home so fucking exciting so i don't even remember the rest of south by southwest go orange well first of all congratulations to you (laughs) i went to boston university i don't know if we have a basketball team there you go so i've got a grudge yeah um last year we went down to south by southwest and i wanted to my one mission was to get sponsored by doritos Uh uh-huh how'd that go didn't get sponsored no and so this year we were in a meeting probably like three weeks ago yeah. and I said to the people, I said, oh, you know, like we're going to South by, I want to get sponsored by Doritos, ha ha ha. And they said, well, how do we make that happen? Let's make it happen. Which by the way, that's not what we were expecting. <laughs> no. And so I was like, sponsored me for what? For The like, meeting wasn't even for that. This yeah. is just hilarious. They were like, you know, I was like, what are they going to sponsor me for? Like sitting on a bench? And they were like, yeah. So, by the way, yeah, let's make that happen. Yeah, but it didn't happen this year. No. So Doritos did not have a presence down at South by Southwest. So we're announcing a boycott today. Today. I will no longer eat Doritos until I'm sponsored. It's effective today, but it's, it started <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. No more Doritos. No more Cool Ranch. Doritos, don't step foot on the Upper West Side. You understand? No more Red. What, yeah. Whatever the, the red flavor is, I'm not eating it. That's right. Jeff, on the podcast today. On the podcast today, we have Fonte. Fonte, whose new album is called No News is Good News. You guys may know him as the co-host of Questlove Supreme on Pandora. Or you may remember him as the one-time member of the seminal rap group Little Brother. I feel like Fonte is one of those guys who our audience already knows. But trust me, guys, this is a fantastic conversation. And we're just thrilled to have it. Shouts to Fonte. Shouts to everybody down in South by Southwest. And I, I just want to say one thing before we get to this episode. Yeah. Which is, we had such an amazing time down in South by Southwest, especially because there were just dozens, and I'm not even exaggerating, dozens of people who walked up to us and said that our content, and that's our podcast, our music, our sketches, our live shows, just anything that involved us. People were so proud of us. People were so excited about what we're doing and our content meant so much to them and they told us that. And I'm telling you, everywhere we went, we were stopped and you talk into one end of the microphone and you don't know if people hear it or if it resonates with people or what. 
And this was such a concentrated collection of people, you know, whatever. Like there's 100,000 people down there, whatever. But it's all music fans. It's all music obsessives. And I, I feel like those are the people that we talk to. And that all these people would come up to us and share that meant and means the world. So thank you to everyone who who let us know. It really it 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 keeps us going and it pushes us harder. And we're so happy that you guys get something out of it just like we do. Jeff, when do you want to get into this? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, aka Lumberjack Championship, aka Rolling Trees. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, aka Spoon Fed Lies, aka Cap and Crunch. Yo, what up? It's Fonte. This is my first time ever hearing this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is always sound it's real. Fonte, what's happening? Yo. This is amazing. This is my first time hearing the podcast and doing the podcast. Y'all got to understand, like, previously, these guys were just sitting here, and we was talking about fucking showing off apartments and shit, all nice and calm and shit, and then they just turned into them walking fuck of fame on the intro. That's fucking amazing, Yo, now listen, what's amazing is that you were in Austin yesterday, you're in New York today, and you're on your way home On my way home in a few hours. Yeah, man. Thank you for being here for this. Man, thank y'all for having me. This is fucking dope, man. No, you know what's really dope is that you've been getting nothing but amazing reviews on your new project- which I don't did you expect nothing? Did you expect everything somewhere in between? How man, did we get here to man, universal acclaim? Brother, listen, like in twenty eighteen, you know, this shit is like man, it's it's like throwing it's like pissing in the wind hoping you hit a tree. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you just never know which way the wind is gonna blow. You you can have a feeling in your mind of like, yo, I really like this. And you can put it out and people are like, ah, oh, this shit sucks. Or you can just be like uh, you know, uh, Burt Reynolds about in Boogie Nights. Oh, this is the worst movie ever. And then the <laughs> shit comes out, and that's the one. You know right, I mean? right. So you never know. I mean, for me, man, it's always a thing of I never want to put out something that I'm. Um, I never want to put out something. I never put out something that I'm ashamed of. Mm-hmm. And you always want to make something they're proud of. And that's really the only thing you can do is put out something that you can stand behind it. The test comes to see if the people are going to stand behind it. And that's art. And that's yeah, that's art. Yeah. And so for me, man, um, this has been. This has been the most interesting project I've ever released because for the first time, this is probably the definitely the first project where I am experiencing it in real time the same time as the audience is. So generally the way an album works or, you know, how it would in the old days that you would work on your record for however long and then you have like this three, four month window of setup and promo and all this rollout and all this <laughs> bullshit. But now, you know what I'm saying, you can do it whenever. So literally the record came out on Friday, March 2nd. I finished it and turned it in like the Sunday before that. So it literally, I had only been living with the record maybe three or four days prior to it coming to the audience. Man. So when people ask me like how I feel about it, I'm just like, well, man, like I'm still processing it with y'all. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just, it's just, I only had like a three day head start on hearing all this shit before y'all did. So Your project um, and 444 have the same rollout plan, by the way. So. Yeah, <laughs> which is no rollout. I think his rollout went a lot more successfully than mine. Listen, <laughs> but, no, but what people don't see is all the radio staff that you have here and all of your PR people that yeah, you yeah. have here. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, Jay-Z, like, he had the outside of buses. You're on every bus just shouting about your album. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm on the bus. I'm in Ubers. Like, I, <laughs> I was in Austin. I turned on an Uber driver to my shit. Did I'm you like, really? Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking because they always ask, what are you here for? I said music Oh well what do you do I do this <laughs> Oh well what can you do I'm like well listen I'm on Spotify I'm on iTunes I'm on Pinterest Pull me up and Yeah They'll hit One me One fan like, at a time Yeah, yeah man yeah. yeah 
Very organic. So no, I, I'm um yeah. The original question, yeah. I I'm just I'm excited that people are just enjoying the record and that people. It seems to be I don't know, man. It's weird. It seems to be resonating with people in a way that I certainly did not expect. Mm-hmm. Like ever. Like it's so many. I've gotten so many calls, so many texts, tweets, everything about uh, a record on the album called Expensive Jeans mm-hmm. that just talks about yeah. aging and like just what blackness means <laughs> as you get older yeah uh, you know when you're younger uh as a black man like you you might you have fear of like getting robbed getting shot is that shit but you know once you cross 40 or approach 40 you're thinking about your family history you're thinking about you know your health factors and like how you know a bad diet will take you out quicker than a mm. bullet especially in you know we look at you know cats like craig mack and just combat and prodigy yeah just all the people we lost five you know what i mean it's just like shit man like making it to 50 in hip-hop now is like that's like fucking holy grail you know you you shout out combat jack and a a few others on the project but like talk about your relationship with combat because as as i know you only did like one interview with him i only did one interview with him so me and combat man we were uh me and him, we were very much kind of, I think, kindred spirits in a lot of ways. Um, he was, like, really opinionated, like, really articulate, you know what I'm saying, and just, like, a no-bullshit kind of guy. But at the same time, he was very he was very honest, and he was also a very warm dude, you know what I mean? And so when he first started posting, doing his blog, uh, I would just read his stuff, and I was like, yo, this dude is, like, giving up some shit. Like, he's talking about the Rockefeller deals. Like, he's talking about all kinds of like, this is dope. So finally, when it came, when he, you know, became Combat Jack and he revealed himself and he did the podcast and everything, he was one of the people that reached out to me. And I had no idea. And this, you know, goes back to what you asked me earlier. How are people going to receive your work? I didn't think he knew who the fuck I was. And so finally, one day it was on Twitter. This had to be back in like 2009, 2010, something. We were DMing each other, and he was just like, listen, I just want to let you know, man, just the listening saved my life. Like, thank you so much. It was a time where I was tired of hip-hop, and I just was really looking to make a change in my life, and I bought y'all album. He was like, man, I'm telling you, that just, and I was like, are you serious? He (laughs) said, yeah. So from that point on, we stayed in touch. And so finally, we had a show um, in... uh, this was the, when I interviewed on his show. This had to be around like 2016. 16, yeah, yeah, it was 2016, and I was working on the breaks at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, and we just started Quest Up Supreme and everything, and so we were just talking. And at that time, uh, and I and I think it's pretty uh, public knowledge that he, uh, him, and his wife were kind of going through some, mm-hmm. some stuff, and uh, it was it was unknown to me. I was just talking about just kind of what I've been going through on that side, and then he shot me a look off camera. And I noticed his hand. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, you can hear it. And I was like, yo. I said, look, we'll talk off mic. I said, we'll talk off mic. I said, holy shit, dude. So afterwards, we we, we talked off mic. And uh, he was just kind of telling me some stuff. And I just said, listen, man. I said, look. I said, bro, I've been where you've been. I've been through the voice. I said, that is, regardless of how you feel about the person, that is like one of the worst fucking things you will go through in your life, particularly if you got kids involved. I said, man, that shit sucks. It's hell. It's I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I said, so, you know, if you ever just need to talk, call me. Mm. I said, anytime, day or night, I said, man, call me anytime. You know, I said, because when I was going through my shit, you know, I had my number I could call just if I just to, to you know, walk me off the edge, <laughs> you know, a little bit. I said, so, man, if you ever just need to rap with me, man, just give me a call, just to vent, whatever. I'll listen. He was like, man, I'll take you up on that. So over the next couple of months, we would just periodically check in with each other. And it would just be sometimes it would be a text. And he was like, yo, man, so 
this is this is kind of what's going on right now. What is it? You know what I mean? And, and we would just kind of talk through stuff. And uh, the last time I actually saw him was uh, it was Article Festival in Durham, North Carolina. It's a festival that they have every year, a music festival. And this was at Just Blaze's show. Just was doing a DJ set. And Combat was there. And uh, I, I had been there. I think I was hosting something earlier. Me and my, my wife was there. And I was just ready to go the fuck home. I was like, fuck, I'm fucking tired. Of this shit. I mean, Justin's the homie. All love the Just. I shout him out. We dabbed up, whatever. I said, so love him. And I'm like, all right, I'm ready to get the fuck on my couch. And so Combat was there. And so Just starts doing beats, starts like playing beats on his uh, off his laptop or whatever, just kind of doing stuff live. And I'm like, fuck, man, Jack is here. I'm like, Reg is here. I'm like, all right, let me go. Let me, I got to spit something. Reg is here. So I went up and I just spit some verses and shit was dope. And so afterwards, he was just like, yo, he's like, Tay, man, thank you for saving my life. I was like, I said, just fuck out here with that shit. Like, he's like, no, yo, thank you. Yo, seriously, man, yo, thank you for saving my life. And, you know, we dapped each other up, gave him a hug. I said, I love you, brother. He's like, I love you too. And that was the last time I saw him. We all know Reggie very well, knew Reggie very well, uh, a very genuine person. So when he says that he loves you and he says yeah, that it you ain't saved no life, shit. he means that. Yeah. But you've so far said twice that people have said that you saved their life in this conversation. I'm sure there's been hundreds, if not more than that before. I just want to make clear, like, you didn't save my life. Well, <laughs> <laughs> all right, right, right. right. But, but does it ever get any different for you when you hear that? Never. Never. It never it never gets different. It never is something that you take for granted. It's never something I mean, even now, like it's on Twitter, like or Instagram, everything, like I try as much as I can, as much as humanly possible. It's kinda impossible. But everyone that gives me a shout out or just says, Yo, I'm listening to the record, I'm loving it at the very least, I try to hit them with a thank you. Mm -hmm. Just if nothing else. Just because, you know, man, it's in a time now where the biggest thing that you can have, I think, or the biggest obstacle, you know, in music and media, I think just in general, just art in general, is that, you know, we're no longer in a money economy so much as we're in an attention economy. And so it's not even about getting people to spend money on you or buying or whatever. It's just about if you can get them to tune the fuck in. So if you in 2018, if you're an artist and you can find a way to make a living and you still have an active audience in the midst of 600 channels on cable and Hulu and Netflix and a million podcasts and all this shit. If you still have people that are actually listening to what you have to say, you are fucking blessed. Mm. Whether that audience is, you know, a thousand devoted or 10,000 or 500, whatever the fuck, man. If you got people that are really truly checking for you and are taking time out of their day and out of their lives to let you know that something you did resonated with them. You're fucking winning. Yeah. And so I that's something that I never take for granted, especially now. Especially now just because there people are just you're you're inundated with options. There are options everywhere. It's, you know, just so much media, so much content. So no, man, every time I hear that those stories, uh every time, you know, people tell me like that never gets old. Uh, I listen to every story like it's the first one because shit it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I never take that shit for granted, man. What do you consider yourself in terms of a profession? Jesus Christ. That's Whoa, a good that's question. A right, 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 right. Yeah, that's a great answer. In the interview. Tiggle rolls on the third and dropped his album. Yo, in terms of a profession, I mean, I still generally think of myself mostly as a musician. I mean, that's like the main thing. But um, and I, I and I think that will always be the lifeline. That will always just be kind of um that would always be the training ground. You know, I I've I've learned and I will, I've always told people that 
if you can make it in music, music is like New York. If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Mm. If you can make it in music, you can make it in anything. There is no business. I mean, I've worked in TV, I've worked in film, I've done like have my hands in a lot of pots. So, you know, thankfully, nothing <laughs> is as cutthroat and as fucking flying by the seat of your pants and is unregulated as the fucking music business. <laughs> None. Nothing. Nothing. Like, in the first time, like, we were doing the breaks, dude, and, like, you know, you you get, you know, your contract and everything, <laughs> and, like, and it's like, okay, you get this, and you have to take breaks for, you know, this amount, and, like, all this, you know, you reading all the SAG shit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then, like, I got my check, and, like, the taxes was already taken out and shit. I was like, whoa, so, like, so this is all me? Like, this <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Like, I got to be on this. I got to get on this TV shit. They just take care of you so much better, man. And so the thing with with TV is and, and movies is just that it's just so, like, no one wants a lawsuit. That's the thing that I've, I've learned just in TV and movies. Yeah. Nobody wants a lawsuit. So there's no really no such thing as doing shit for spec for the most part. I mean, right. if, if, you're, if you work, you do a song for a TV show or you do something, if you're a walk-on, you whatever, you will get something. Mm. Because no one wants any parts of a lawsuit or any sniffings of a lawsuit. They like fuck. But that in shit. the music yeah. business, in the music industry, dude, like a lawsuit, nigga, that's Thursday. That's every how like Birdman will have been sued yeah. five times by the end of this fucking podcast, and it's just another day. Yeah. So you know what I mean? So yeah. So I, I think music has definitely been the training ground. Has really been like it gave me like the three hundred training. For everything else. Mm. Like, that's the one, you know, when I started making the transition into doing TV stuff and everything, people were just amazed at the way that I was able to produce. And, you know, I and I just saw early on that, like, if you could produce and you could produce on time and you could, you know, produce at a high level and be timely about it, you can always get work. Mm. And so, um, so yeah, so I still pretty much always consider myself a musician. Uh, I also do... Um, I also do voices. I do voiceover. I've come on with, uh, well, this was January. Uh, I came aboard with uh, William Morris. And mm. so I'm in their voiceover department now. So you might hear me like on commercials and stuff. Like or on Sesame done. Street. I was a rapping banana on Sesame Street. Which that is the is, best. Dude, that's <laughs> yeah. my career highlight. Like, yeah. fuck it. Like, for all that. That's records. what you should have told the Uber guy. By, yeah. The, yeah. Hey, yeah. by the way, if you have kids, you know, I got some potassium raps for you. Yeah. Man, listen. No, that was like super, super like. God, super highlight of, of of my career just being on Sesame Street, and uh, and I got more stuff from doing like writing stuff too. So I mean, yeah, man, I'm just thankful for it all. And uh, but I think the core of it is still I still see myself first and foremost as, as a, a rapping banana. Yeah, as a rapping banana. <laughs> that is put it put that on that's my Jesus yeah. Mural yeah. Yeah. That's my Jesus Mural <laughs> rainbow. The rapping banana. That is it. So there's so many songs to talk about and so much music to talk about. But one song, and I don't know if you've talked about this. This Ever. is my first interview I've done about the record. Or I think this is oh, like no. the first real. I want to go back. Oh, let's go. <laughs> let's go back. Can you talk about I See Now? Oh, my God. Okay, I See Now. Because that's one of our favorite records, like, period. Like, Thank you, We're man. talking about a time when, like, and with all due respect to paying musicians, <laughs> like, we were on Napster just looking for anything. Oh, man, absolutely. And that record spoke to us. Like, that came out. We were like, we're the only ones who have this record. <laughs> and, like, you know, I... I, I 2003, 2003, 2003 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we have a tape masters yeah uh, yeah, with the drops on it. yeah yeah tape masters, like that wow. was just like everything to us and we were playing it this morning we're just like it still sounds just as good thank you so much there's man. so much life in there there's so much humor in there and that was you guys that was kanye and, and that was consequence yeah that one was 
a that was a record that we did back in like oh three, and this is like we did it. I mean, you talk about y'all recording in y'all's <laughs> studio and y'all's apartment, kitchen. dude. Yeah, our <laughs> kitchen, dude. Our shit was so fucking bootleg back then. Like we had, like we didn't have a booth. We had just like we had bought, like you know those things that you can get from um like the mattress, the egg crates that you can oh, get yeah. on the mattress. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We had, like bought one of those and like cut it like in half and then hung it up. So it was like a kind of a you know a curve a makeshift booth a, a, yeah. a makeshift booth we hung the shit from the ceiling like, <laughs> it was so fucking jack leg man but that was that was how we did those records and so uh, we went to our spot and uh, Kanye at the time he was in town for um, it was a, some conference they were having this was in Durham North Carolina and there was some music conference they were having man and um, you know we all knew who he was I mean Kanye he was this is pre college dropout this is pre all that shit. yeah 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 and uh, we were like Pooh knew who he was. I knew who he was. I knew him more so as a producer. I didn't really know his rhymes like that. I just knew him from reading him in credits and stuff. And so um, he knew who we were. Again, it was just another one of those times where, like, I never assume. Like, people people still are surprised when I introduce myself to them. And they like, I know who you are. I'm like, dude, I never <laughs> take that for granted. I, I never assume. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I treat it, like, every day like it's my first day coming out. And so, um, so, but he knew who we were. And so we ended up just going to the studio and I didn't know that cons was coming with, him. I didn't know that cons was going to be on the track and I don't think Pooh knew either. <laughs> and it was like, Oh, cons. I was like, Oh, okay. And so he did his verse and like, we later found out it was some verse that he had added. He, had, it was an old mixtape verse he had on some other shit. And, uh, he did, uh, Kanye did his verse and then like Pooh and Kanye, I mean, Pooh and cons, they went back, back and, and forth, forth yep. and then. I just did my verse at the end. And so after I did my verse, Kanye was like, oh, man, I see why you got that verse in the source. I see why you got rhyming off. I see why you got that shit, my nigga. I see why you got, yeah, I see why. I was just like, whatever, dude. And so um, so we left, and uh, we, you know, we did the record, and I didn't really think anything about it. I mean, we ended up leaving, and I think we ended up going back later on, um, uh, I, think, I think maybe Kanye came over to Knife's crib and, like, played us some stuff from – what was gonna be college dropout? He had just did the uh, at that time. He had just did the. It was was it was the uh, good, good mixtape. No 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 no. It was uh it was the record he did for Dolly People's This Way joint. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And so at that time, we me and Rocker, me and Rocker and Ev, we all kind of had a running. Uh, we all had a running joke on <laughs> between us about doing shows with him, and it's like, when did you get the Kanye Kanye? Yeah yeah and yeah. So at that point. Whoever you were, like, if you were opening for Kanye, the goal was, can you get through your set without the crowd yelling, Kanye, Kanye, Kanye? And so me and Rocker was talking. He was like, well, man, well, we got the Kanye, Kanye in Rochester. Well, we got it and so and so. And so I think Little Brother might have been, like, one of the few, if I'm not, I don't quote me on this, but I think... We were one of the few that actually made it through wow. without getting it. I think we might have got to like, they might have gave it to us like at the last song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after we finished the last song, they were like, Kanye, and we just see, like, you know what? Perfect time, <laughs> folks. We got him backstage. <laughs> He's on his fucking way. So it worked out cool, but yeah, we yeah, didn't yeah. get like, you know, we didn't get Sandman Sims Oh my stage. God. But, uh, but yeah, that was the record, man. And, you know, I mean, and again, it was just one of those things that just happened. And you didn't think all these years later it would matter no. to two brothers from just northern New York? City. Dude, yeah. I didn't think it was gonna matter outside of the studio. Like we just did it, and you know, of course, Kanye he went on, you know, to become who he was, and 
yeah, it's just one of those moments where you just kind of look back, and um, I'm thankful that I had a chance to do it. I'm really thankful I got a chance to just be with him kind of early in his career and see, because I think for me, it gave me a view into a life that I didn't want, and I'm thankful for that. Hmm. I'm always thankful for that. I, I got to see early on like how he was dealing with fame, and I saw some of the adjustments he had to make, and I saw how it wasn't just uh, – it was not an easy transition for you. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? It and wasn't I, just slotted glasses and <laughs> leather jackets. Those came much later yeah, yeah. in the developmental process. Yeah. So, nah, bro, it was, I, I, I'm thankful for it. And, you know, I, I just got to see it. And so, whenever people would ask me, you know, you look at Drake, you look at Kanye, and you wish that, I'm just like, dude, I seen that. I, I'm good. Yeah. I, that is, that's, I'm where I'm supposed to be that fits my life and, my being of, of who I am like this is where I'm supposed to be that's that success that that lane of success that just wasn't for me and yeah. I never felt any way about it let's talk about uh the very very beginning where are you originally from I'm originally from I was raised in Greensboro North Carolina what is growing up in Greensboro like growing up in Greensboro was very uh so funny so the thing with Greensboro is that, and I think me and Jack talked about this uh, before he passed. So Greensboro was, it was the South. I mean, North Carolina's the South. But when we first came out, everyone was like, little brother, oh, y'all don't sound like y'all from the South. Y'all don't sound like you sound like you from this room and that, whatever. But the thing about Greensboro is that Greensboro was a college town. And it was like on the East Coast. And so you're kind of a hub between the next like major city would probably be Atlanta. So it's like if Atlanta's here, then you go up like, you know, five hours or whatever, then Greensboro. And then after that, that's when you hit, you start hitting your major cities, you hit your DC, you hit mm -hmm. Philly, New York, and so forth. How many south of the border signs are near you? Dude, okay, <laughs> near me, yes. none. Near me, none. Near my grandmother, lots of them. Cause my grandmother lives further south yeah, yeah, yeah. in Robinson County. Dude, so south of the border, for those who don't know, south of the border is like, this amazingly racist place oh that still God. stands. <laughs> and it's so fitting. <laughs> no, bro, it is so fitting in Trump's America. Oh it is so, like, I'm surprised. I imagine like tourism in South of the Border would be off the fucking chain. <laughs> so in South of the Border is this like little, it's literally this little border town that sits on the border of Northern South Carolina. And so what it's famous for, what it was famous for for me, North Carolina, like fireworks are illegal. Like you can have like the little, bullshit sparklers and like fucking <laughs> the little the little snake like just the little bullshit fireworks but like you can't just be setting off goddamn boom 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 right, like candles right. you can't be doing that shit so if you want like the real fireworks like bottle rockets and roman yeah. candles and shit actual bombs actual yeah. bombs all yeah. that you had to go, go to see pedro go yeah. see pedro yeah. south of the border and they got the pictures up they got hit with the big sombrero and crazy shit. crazy it's so fucking like racist and we hilarious. would we would drive down our, our grandparents lived in florida oh okay we're yeah, jewish yeah. you know <laughs> And <laughs> no, we would stop and go see our cousins in DC and we would make our way down I-95 and we would see just like the entirety of yeah, 95. Yeah, man, 95. That's, what you see yeah, that's all yeah. you see. It's like cocaine. Like it's like every single one. You're just like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and by the time you get there, yo, yeah. bro, it's it's crazy. So that's what Salvador yeah. was over. That's yeah. where you went. You would go down there maybe a couple of days before the fourth, get your fireworks, <laughs> and then you bring them back to the crib. But Greensboro's a college town. Greensboro's a college town. Greensboro's a college town. So for us, it was a college town. We were kind of in the middle. So we were in the middle. Because of a college town, we had like a lot of cats coming from up north. 
heavy DC influence. We mm-hmm. had a lot of cats coming from DC coming to school. Um, I remember like hearing Go Go mm-hmm. and like thinking like what the fuck <laughs> is this shit? And then when I went to visit DC and finally saw, I was like, ah, okay, yeah. I get it. You know, it's part of me. It, it was dope to me then. So, um, so you had like a lot of. You had a lot of college, and then you also had a lot of drug dealers because it was in, you know, it was right on in route. between. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you yeah. know what I mean. So, Jay Z talked about it. Yeah, he may have. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. Mr. Seventeen <laughs> Five in Greensboro, but uh, yeah, bro. So that was it. You know what I mean? And so when people would hear our influences, like they thought that we were very, you know, atypical from Southern, but that was what we grew up in. Like most of the all the hip hop that I grew up listening to. In Greensboro, it was all East Coast shit. Like, mm. it was all, you know, I mean, you know, just the classic, just the tribe, mm. Pete and CL. Uh, there was a, um, it was a brother used to have a show on WNAA, which was the Is that the P.D. Pablo uh, intro to? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> P.D. Pablo came much later, and P.D. Pablo was just as new to y'all as he was to us. <laughs> Like no one do. I mean, y'all love the PD. I mean, him have still never met face to face, but you know, all love for PD. He's boy, right he back here. Bring him back. This is what we're gonna buy your apartment to. <laughs> Yo, Petey, yeah, PD. When he came out, like it was just, yeah, it was weird because everyone was like, yeah. So PD Pablo, he's the new guy. So you know, you guys love him. How how was it like coming up? And we were just like. Dude, we do not know him. <laughs> it's, I, we just heard him last week, like y'all did. It was all good. But uh, but now nah, one one love the PD though, man. He he was definitely a pioneer. Did you have a big family? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, it was me, my mother, uh, and my two brothers, and then my dad was my dad. My, me and my dad, he he passed in twenty sixteen. Me and my dad weren't close. We would like. We got closer in his later years as, as he got older. But um, my mother, it was just me. And I was the oldest of two boys. And then my dad, he had, like, a slew of kids. So, like, I had, like, one brother. I have one brother that I just met, like, when he died. Like, I have, like, it's and it's like another, it's like another one that's out there somewhere. And it's just... It goes deep. The rabbit hole goes. How are you processing that? Because like that's a lot, man. You know what? It's 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 weird. So the thing I have to tell myself, man, and and, and me and my brother, like uh, the, I have a brother. We call ourselves hood twins because we're six months apart. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> wait, what? But, yeah. This is one of the brothers not from your not mother. About, no, yeah, not yeah. my mom. Yeah. So this is my, okay, this is, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, so I was doing the math. <laughs> and let me tell you. As I'm sure my mother was yeah. doing the math too. <laughs> yeah, bro. So my mom, my mom was, uh, my mom was classmates with this girl. They were friends. And so my dad, I was born in December and my brother Kendrick, he was born, I want to say like in like June or something. I think his mm-hmm. brother's in like June, July. So we're just like a few months apart. And uh, so he was at the house uh, a couple weekends ago and we were just talking. And the thing is, you know, like when you when a when a parent dies, that's when you you really you really begin to see who that person is. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen Black Panther yet or whatever, yes, but, we have, like, yeah. but, you know, without like spoiling for anyone. But I mean, I thought the movie was dope, but in on a lot of levels. But the scenes that really hit me were the scenes where he goes to the ancestral plane and he talks and just the whole idea of the sins of the father and how your father can tell you things on this plane that he could never tell you on earth like that like really fuck with me you know i mean that was that was emotionally that was like a those were some hard scenes yeah and so you know so for me man it's you know once he died and you just kind of learn things about his life after he passed and you see how this affected him and how 
this happened and how, you know, he maybe didn't have an outlet for this and how did he pass that on to you and what did that teach you? Like, it's like, it's like you're relearning yourself all over again. You know what I mean? So you have more of an understanding of what much he was going through. Much more understanding when he wasn't he was a big part through. of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much more understanding what he was going through. Much more understanding of things that I learned. Um, just behaviors that, you know, it's 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 hard to unpack, man. Like you know, when you when you're young, you look at your parents as like superheroes. But then as you get older, and they start to get older, and they start to break down and shit, you just really see them as people, and you see that, you know, they were just people who made decisions with the the, the best tools that they had, and so. As a parent my, now, for me, you know, my boys are 17 and 12. My goal is to just use better tools than the ones that were given to me. Now that, you know, we have more knowledge of, you know, things and, you know, a better understanding. So that was it, man. So, yeah, it was just um, that, that was kind of That it. is something that you like because you talk about in your album. Mm-hmm. And so that is something that, that happened, obviously, before Black Panther. Like, you've obviously been kicking that oh, around. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, when I went to see it. And, and in the end, like, I went into Black Panther just not knowing anything about it. I just kind of went in blind. Like, yeah, all right, let me same. see this yeah, shit. Yeah, so do we. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't read, like, no reviews or nothing. Mm-hmm. And those scenes, I was like, man, like, this is, ah, like, this is, ooh, this is, that, that's real. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, those are things that I just kind of been kicking around in my head. But, uh, but that was life in Greensboro. It was really, you know, college town. Uh, my mother, she worked. Uh, it was me and my brothers. And what'd your mom do? My mother was a. She was like a like an admin assistant. She worked in the office and uh, like secretary. And um, she worked, and we were we were poor. I mean, we weren't like. I mean, I always ate. We always had clothes. But um, it was definitely times when shit got real. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, we, we had what we needed. We never went without. You know what I'm saying? But we definitely. It was it was a struggle. Did you go to a big high school or a- I went to a big high school. So the year that I graduated the the well I graduated middle school and was going to high school, the school that I was supposed to be going to, my neighborhood school was a school called Dudley. Dudley was like Dudley High School was like mostly black school. It was like ninety nine percent high school. So the um the guy that it was named after Dudley, so I don't know. You guys are Jewish, so I don't know how down, <laughs> how far down the black rabbit hole you want to go. Mm-hmm. But but like Dudley's hair products, like yeah. he was the guy that like ran it. Wow. So it was named, it was named after James Dudley, who I think may have been his dad. But Joe Dudley is the guy that with the Dudley products. But By I'm way, not have sure. you seen Eric's hair? I know. Come, come on, yo, come I mean that's Joe. He he looks more like a Pantene Pro V kind of guy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you know, but I, maybe some Dudleys will work for. He's him. actually a Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. Oh, where? Yeah. <laughs> Old school, like nope. you know, yeah, the, the no Johnson family from from no 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 Johnson family from Chicago. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, yeah, wow, right. wow, the that's, Ebony magazine. Let's Johnson. go real down there. Let's, <laughs> let's keep shout out to John down. Monopoly. All right, yeah. <laughs> all right. Yo. Sorry, you were saying. Yeah. Oh no, man. So so yeah, Again, bro. First time meeting us. I know. Yeah. No, it's no. This is great. This is a real moment. This is my first time hearing it. Listen, this is a real fucking moment. This is dope. So dude, so yeah, so I was supposed to go to Dudley, but the year that I graduated. They did some redistricting, and so they started busting all the kids on my side of school across town to Page, which was like a mostly white high school. And but it was mostly white, and like, but the black kids that went there were like, we were black, blackity black, right? Black. So, um, so it was an interesting experience, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. And but, but you know, but I, I it was, I thankful, I was thankful for it because the teachers there my English teachers there were so hard on me and they were so like just strict on me. And like, I remember like writing papers and one of the most like the 
illest advice I ever got from a teacher, you know what I'm saying, that I still even carry with me in writing rhymes and songs and everything. I had written something and she just gave it back to me. And she was like, where are you in this story? And I was like, what What you mean? She was like, listen, she was like, you know, I hear everything you're saying, you know, you got your this and that, but where are you in it? And, you know, and it was something that kind of I carry on because it's, and I tell writers this, you know, young MCs and, and just writers is like, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of the truth. You know what I mean? Like you can say, hey, I woke up this morning, I got dressed and I went to work. You know, those, that's a factual, those are all factual statements, but that's fucking boring. That's a book report. <laughs> I woke up late, you know what I'm saying? I only got one shirt to wear and I hate my fucking job. That's the truth. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to hear. Go there. We don't want to hear just, you know, just a bullet point of what you did. Fuck that. Where are you in the story? And so I think I was like in 11th grade and that really stuck where I was like, shit, that's okay. I get it. And that was just a, a, a real turning point for are me. Are you a left brain person? Uh, probably so. In mm -hmm. some ways, definitely creatively. I'm yeah. definitely a left brain person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in just my life like i'm really kind of right brain and really kind of structured and but but you know if i opened up my voice notes and or my like my right like that shit makes no sense <laughs> you would think i was a fucking unibomb <laughs> it, it would make no sense at all so were you regimented were you were you scheduling out your days in in high school were you like doing your homework like right then and there was this yeah well so for me so for me in high school my main regimen was sports that was the thing that kept me uh just on point and so for me i was always a good student but uh sports definitely kept me in so i would play from like my ninth grade year like i mean i did football wrestling and track like so i was pretty much year round year yeah. round yeah. and then finally like my 11th grade year i think i stopped that was when i stopped playing doing wrestling and uh, I, I got a job i got a job uh my journalism teacher got me a job working at her husband's law firm doing and, what dude so <laughs> i was working at a, like a personal injury law firm. And so this is, I'm like 16 years old, 16, 17, I was just filing. And so what it was, they were a personal injury law firm and their biggest, uh, they had a big suit. Like this shit still might be going on. It's so fucking crazy. They had a big suit against Dow Corning. So this is when, back in the day when like all the ladies were getting like the silicone breast implants uh -huh. and then them shit started leaking uh -huh. and like just fucking them up like all the hell. The law firm I was at, they were representing a lot of those ladies. It was like this big class action thing. And so what they had me do was, you know, you, you just file. You just file stuff. You get doctor's notes or whatever. You look up the file number. You go look up in the library, and then you just put it in their file. And at that time, and this is like, dude, this is like 95, 96. So at that time, the case had been going on for so long that a lot of the women had died oh my before God. the shit even got the trial. So I don't know what the fuck it is. Now, I don't know how it all shook out, but that was my job. Oh. I was just filing. So you would get, you know, that was the first time I remember seeing, like, pictures of women with mastectomies. Like, they would have, like, their pictures in there, and you just see and you read the notes. I'm like, oh, my God, this shit is horrible. Yeah. And so so that was, yeah, that was my job. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I mean? I thought because you were running track, you were going to chase ambulances. Oh, no, nah, brother. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I was looking at that shit. I was like, oh, That's like sex shit. ed, like, you know. Sex ed like a motherfucker. <laughs> so, yeah, dude, I was doing that. That was, like, you know, my job. And uh, so, yeah, I just mainly just did. Um, I just always had a job, always, you know, had extracurricular activities. Like, I didn't know. From ninth to twelfth grades, I graduated. I didn't know what my house looked like until oh. like seven o'clock at night. Like I never like the idea of coming home and just being at home after school. No. I never knew what that <laughs> shit looked like. Ever. What were your college plans? 
My college plans, I mean, for me, like, college was just something that. Or what you did just, you want to do? I knew I always wanted to do music. I never, I never had a, uh, I never had a second thought about doing anything else. My, my thing was always, I knew I wanted to do music. I didn't necessarily know how I wanted to get there, but I and knew. Did you know what, what form? I well, I knew I wanted to rap just because rap was the first time I think I heard my music, and I think I mean is you know around yeah. same age where it's like you, there's your parents' music. But then rap is like, this is my music. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And you had a love. I mean, I'm still at my heart. I'm still like soul, classic soul R&B guy. Like, that's my heart. But the first time I heard Kane, first time I heard Run DMC, my uncle taking me to the Fresh Fest when it came to the Greensboro Coliseum. Like, dog, it was over. Yeah. Like, that was my life goal at that point. It was like, fuck that. I want to do this. That's what it is. It's no question. And so all through high school, I had a buddy of mine. Uh, this was He was a guy that worked at my, he worked with my mom at her job. His name was Tony Roper. And uh, I actually talked to Tony. I haven't talked to him in some time. But anyway, he had equipment. And so he was one of the first guys I knew that actually had a four-track recorder. He had a four-track, it was a Tascam recorder. This shit sounds like ancient fucking history now in the age sure, of yeah. cats recording <laughs> verses on their phone and shit. Yeah, but somewhere, Just Blaze is like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> yo, dude, he's the biggest gear nerd. Like, me and him would talk this shit for hours. So, dude, I he had like a four-track Tascam recorder, and I had he had a sampler, a Roland. It was a Roland MS-1. It had like the eight pads on it. And so that was when I first started learning to like make beats and like record myself. And um, I would just make just songs like in my room. I had a mic about like this. I think it might have been <laughs> this I mic. Mean, yeah, it may have been. You know what? It may that may have been a step up from what my mic was. <laughs> I, it wasn't even like an SM58 or nothing. It was just like your Radio Shack realistic mic. And so, um, you know, man, we was just I would just do that. And so that was where I first learned to record myself and like what the process of making a record was like. And I mean, the records were pretty bad, but I was just learning. And so that was probably like that was from the age that was like 16. That was where I started. What would you do with that music? Um, I would just make tapes and give it to my homies. Like me and my homies, we had a uh, <laughs> we just had a joke that just you know, just to show you like how much sex we weren't getting <laughs> me and my buddies had like this joke that just went on so it's like how childish gambino just became childish gambino with the wu-tang thing so me and my buddies had this thing called the Tang clan <laughs> and the whole joke was that we were like the knockoff low budget version of wu-tang clan that was the whole thing but then we started actually making songs and then we started making tapes and then we started selling the tapes and then we were like performing in school and like it just got it went way too fucking far, <laughs> way too far. But it was hilarious. It was just, I mean, God, we would just do it. And um, that was it. Was that your was, name always Fonte? Or? No, I was the Fizza, P-H-Z-A. Wow. 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 You really were you Fonte. Fonte. Dude, yeah. I don't break character until we shoot the DVD credits. <laughs> <laughs> I stay in character, goddamn. So you performed at school, though? We performed at, like, yeah, we, we At your all-white school. At my, and they ate that shit up. They fucking loved it. They loved it. Tapes on sale over in the back corner. Like, yeah, come yeah. get me. I was. I think I was, because you could buy, like, the, the Max Sale. I think at the time it was, like, a CVS up street from my crib. And so you could buy, like, the five-pack of Max Sale. 60 minutes for like I think they was like Maybe 5, 6 bucks So Man. I just buy them You know Sell the tapes For like $5 a piece Whatever But you weren't filling up 60 minutes of funk on that <laughs> Yo I had 60 minutes I would record Because again We had the 4 track mm -hmm. And so The way I would do the math Is like okay well Cause you know when you when you, the, the whole science of a four track is that it takes a regular tape And splits it up Into four tracks So a 60 minute tape 
gets you 15 minutes of recording time. So my math was, okay, I just need f- to fill up four four-track tapes to fill up one 60-minute. And once we get that, then I got a full tape Man. and I could sell the tapes. So that was how we did it. You were an indie label back then, doing Man, everything listen, yourself. I was the original rockers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Minus the startup money. So, And who who did you model your, your rapping after? For me, my, my biggest influence was always... As an MC, it was probably always Kane. Mm. It was more so, it was definitely Kane, G-Rap. They were like just that really fast, you know, just percussive, you know, kind of staccato style. Like that was what always. Just do a quick hundred bars right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but. We'll, rap it, rap, rap, rap. <laughs> no, no. We'll break yeah, it down. Shout out to Handover. Right, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can only do 15 minutes at a time <laughs> on, on my joint. Yeah, man, that was uh, that was that was those were my guys. Like Kane was like the biggest influence in terms of MCing, but then sonically, just the way I like my music to sound, it was Tribe Called Quest. Mm-hmm. Just the way their record sounded, and just how Tribe Called Quest, and also I got to throw in the roots as well. Like they to me were like the extension. They were like Tribe on steroids. Like yeah. just I remember listening to Do You Want More and hearing that Rhodes and that shit just sound like it was in 3D. I was like, what the fuck is that? You know what I mean? So those were my biggest uh, sonic influences. And them seeing it was it was all about Kane. So, I mean, that, but that's New York and that's Philly. There was yeah. no Atlanta sort of sound creeping into Not your life? really. Nah, it wasn't. I mean, like I said, man, we grew up in the middle. So pretty much everything that we were getting, like, t- to us... Well, at least to me, when I was coming up, the South really represented like booty music. Mm-hmm. So Luke, yeah, sure, you know, MC Shadi, like all, like Magic Mike, all of that was like party music, and that's on the radio, or yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they would. So Magic Mike had the record. What was the record they would play on the radio? To feel the bass, mm-hmm. feel the bay bass, <laughs> feel the feel the feel the bay bass, and it was just an instrumental with just that, and yeah. they would play it on the radio. So that was one. <laughs> uh, what was another record they would play? Um, I mean all the all the booty right like my boo and all that i mean those yeah. shits were yeah, yeah, classics yeah, yeah. but then like i remember the first time i heard they played tell me something good by ugk mm-hmm. and it just sounded like nothing else and like it was just i was like what what is this <laughs> and pimp just came in i was like what oh. the fuck is this shit and it just it sounded like nothing else i was like holy shit this is dope but again it was even though i'm in the south that yeah. shit was new to me mm-hmm. you know what i mean because we were just devout listeners of you know boot camp beat miners uh you, we would get the source and look at the fat tape yeah like, i mean we would read the record reviews that's the five mics that was like bible but we would look at the fat tape and see okay what's the the b-side shit like where's that shit yeah at? and we would look for that so that was that was what me and my crew that was how we did it but 93 doggy style comes out that didn't speak to you at oh, all God, yeah come on. i mean doggy style was yeah, Eric, don't be rude no crap. <laughs> no, I, no dude doggy style, i mean like again that's there national were that's on mtv that's, that's a phenomenon yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. i mean come on man that's dude yeah doggy style was like the chronic so i one thing i specifically remember i remember being kind of not i won't say ahead of the curve i just remember getting in early and seeing kind of the ripple effect of uh the chronic i remember there was a record store up the street from my crib i was living it was a store called tracks it used to be it used to be a record bar but i think they were like a subsidiary it was called tracks and they would have when you walk in the store they would have like the display up front of like all the new shit that was out and so I had seen G thing on like Rap City or whatever, and I was just like, "Oh, this is dope." Like, okay, cool. And so then I came in and they had the Chronic, and I was just like, "All right, the Chronic." I knew Dre from NWA. I was like, 
all right, fuck it. I'll just give it a shot. And I remember like buying it and really liking it, but nobody was really on it. And then just, <laughs> I mean, that shit became a juggernaut. Yeah. Another record like that was for me was Ready to Die. Oh my God. I remember Ready to Die came out. And at the time, uh, it was a store called Record Exchange. And that was where you could go, you know, you could sell records and stuff, but they had new shit too. And so I remember I had heard, I heard Party and Bullshit. Mm. And I think um, my man had, um, I think he had the single, he had the Juicy single. And I've always been on record, like Juicy was not really my record. Like Juicy, when I first heard Juicy, my thought was, who the fuck is this hollering over Juicy Root? Because <laughs> Juicy Root was like a staple yeah, in our house. Yeah, like, yeah, I heard yeah. it. I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> Who's this? What? And I knew Big from Party and Bullshit. So I was like, eh, whatever. <laughs> but on the B side, my man, we was riding my homie for 10. He was like, yo, but turn the shit over, though. And he flipped over. And I heard, unbelievable. Uh. Oh, my God. Man, listen. <laughs> Bruh, you would have thought heaven and earth fucking move. I was like, holy shit. And so I went looking for the tape, and I'll never forget at the at the record exchange. This is like when it first came out, they only had two copies of the tape. Two copies. And I had to call and reserve one. And he was just he was like, and even my man at Wordy, he was like, he's like, Yeah, I'll save it for you, man. He said, But I don't think you worry. I, you ain't gotta worry about nobody coming by this shit. I said, Well, save me one. I went and got it. And the record came out and I played that shit over the fucking over. And I was remember going to school, tell him like, yo, man, this is the shit. This is what y'all need to get on. Ah, whatever. Cats was bumping. I think that was like woo. That, so everyone yeah, yeah. was on like yeah. woo shit that time. They weren't on foo? <laughs> they was not on foo. Our, our, our time in the sun had, had, had come to an end. <laughs> but the shit changed when the One More Chance remix dropped. Oh, mm, come on. Lights With a out. shanty. <laughs> <laughs> Revision assistant. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that shit came out. It was lights out. Like everybody, I mean, that shit went off like a fucking atom bomb. Man. You know how today, maybe, maybe maybe not today, but like five years ago, when people would complain that like the record company didn't ship enough records, right? They're like, well, yeah. they, they didn't put the physicals out there. Yeah. Imagine, imagine when Biggie like finds out that they shipped two cassette singles down to yeah, they took record change in Greensboro. <laughs> they had two full albums of Ready to Die, and I had one of them. And man. I played that shit forwards and backwards. I love that fucking album. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of Atlanta, like Outkast, again, yeah, yeah. cultural phenomenon. That was like, I mean, without question. Like, it's, it's some stuff is almost so big. They were kind of like outliers. It's like it was Southern, but Outkast was just a... Dungeon Family was like a whole nother genre into itself. Like, yeah. that was like... I mean, yeah, that like was future like funk, like you said, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah, like what was like Goody Mob doing? <laughs> oh man, yo, Goody Mob, Goody Mob was the first record. Well, it wasn't the first record I broke the law for. It was <laughs> I broke it in this way. It was the first record, one of the records I remember breaking the law for. I drove to the store. We had a, a record store called I think it was Peppermint Records. It was in Carolina Circle Mall, which was. The Black Mall, and <laughs> we consider the Black Mall right. The Dudley of the yeah, malls. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You, you can you, you listen well. I like <laughs> yeah. it. So that was like the Black Dudley Mall, and so I remember I had to go to school. We had to go to school one day. It was like on a Saturday for like a fucking some student council shit. Like I was like, you know, I was super like nerd, and I'm in the student you were in the student council. Yeah, I was in the. Student you weren't council. just a fan of the student yeah. council. Oh no, nah, yeah. brother, I was in it. I was I was a vested member, and so. My homie Jamal, who he actually died, guy, he died 2016 too. Rest in mm -hmm. peace, man. He uh, had his car. He had like a little white Ford Escort, and we were just talking. He was like, "Yo, man, I think that Goody Mob shit is out." I was like, "It's out." He's like, "Where is that?" I said, "I think it's out." So I said, "Man, I'm going to the mall. Get that shit." 
He was like, you ain't got no license. I don't give a fuck. I'm going. He was like, all right, well, just don't wreck. Said, all right. And so he let me take his car. I drove. I was like on a learner's permit, <laughs> driving to buy the fucking Goody Mob album. I bought Soul Food. And again, it was just one of those records that I just put on. And I was like, Jesus Christ, mm. man. Like, I will. How do I become this good? Like, yeah. how? How do you? How do you get from Futang to Goody Mob? <laughs> you know what I mean? So how do you? <laughs> Trial and error. And error and error. Yeah, so you walk error. you walk the, the stage at graduation. Yeah. And you get your diploma and then you're like, all right, well, I'm going to. Time for college. Yeah. Yeah, so college for me. So I grew up right down the street from A&T. A&T is like the, the big black college that's in uh, in Greensboro. And like literally, I mean, you could damn to throw a rock from my house at A&T. And so my, my but why mother. Why would you want to? Yeah. That was exactly the point. I was like, I can't go here. Like, so my my aunt, my 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 mother went auntie. My God, my both my uncles they went there. Like, it was just, you're a legacy. Yeah. yeah, and I was just like, man, I can't go there. I want to kind of be away from home, you know, just so I can have my own experience. So I chose uh, North Carolina Central University, which was in Durham, which is you know like 45 minutes down the street. So it was it wasn't like going to Florida A and M, which is one school I had in mind. So it wasn't that far, but uh, it was far enough to where I could kind of just really build my own identity. Yeah. And uh, so I, I chose Central. And so once I graduated, man, I went straight from graduation and I was still playing football. And so I played football for Central and I got to Central and I realized like this shit is not for me. Like I don't football like in college. It, it's a business like it becomes it's your life. Like it's, you know, in, in high school, you kind of play it socially. It's like I was a big kid. Like I was quick. Yeah. I, you know, I like hitting and shit. And so it was just a social thing. You play all your homies. You yeah. hang out afterwards. In college, man, that shit is a business. Two days. Oh, bro. Two days. Game meetings yeah. like film. And like I'm like, yo, like. I don't care this much. <laughs> I don't care. Like, y'all really. And I felt like I was cheating because I was like, it got to a point. I was like, man, like, there are guys here that, like, really love this. And I'm not. That ain't me. I what don't position? About this what shit. position? I play fullback. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, dude, I don't, I don't like this shit. And so uh, finally, my, um, the, the, my second year, uh, my coach, we had they had fired the coach that I came in under, and they brought in a new coach. And so we had spring tryouts on a new coach. And at that time, that was like my going into my going into my junior year. It was the end of my sophomore year. And at that time, you had to take your English comprehensive exams, and it was like mandatory. You had to take it. And so I went to the coach, and I was like, "Look, coach, um, I got this. My comps, I got to take them." He was like, "Oh, it's alright, it's cool. You know, I see you Thursday." And I was like, "All right, cool." And he just never saw me again. I took the test and I was like, you know what? Let's let's just part as friends. Wow, it's I'm not doing this shit no yeah. more. I just left my equipment in the locker room. And I was like, you know what? It's over, and that was it. So, uh, who are you at that point? At that point, I was freestyling around campus and stuff. So at that time, uh, me and my homies, uh, uh, Big Poop, mm -hmm. and uh, also my man Sean Don. Uh, Ninth was making beats. Ninth came into my orbit kind of. We met just on some happenstance shit. He was in the, it was moving day in the dorm, and he was, uh, he had a copy of The Source. <laughs> and so we liked a lot of the same shit. And so, like, he was, like, it was a most deaf ad. He was like, yeah, this is what the fuck I'm about. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yo, okay. <laughs> like, another Jedi. He gets it. He gets it. I'm like, yeah. So we was tight from that point on. That was it. 
And so uh, that was probably like 98. But I didn't find out he made beats until like another year. Oh, you were just friends. We, we was just homies. Was yeah. he keeping it secret or were you just not asking? No, he was keeping it secret. I mean, because I didn't even think that, to, you know, I just thought we were just music fans. You know what I mean? We just He just liked it the way I liked it. And so I would just freestyle around campus and just like in the lunchroom and, you know, get props. We'd freestyle in the dorms and all that kind of shit. Were you the nicest on campus? I well, of course, I'm a seminar nice. Yeah, for mm. sure. But yes. yeah. I will say, and guys, another brother. He's gone, man. Jesus Christ. There was a brother in my uh, in my English class. His name was Claude Brown. Claude Brown. C C Brown. That was Cool C Brown. That was who he rapped by. And he was in my English class. And I will never forget. He had to write. We we had to do a peer review of my English class. And. We just would write stuff and, you know, the, the teacher would have us write and then she'd mix up the papers and then pass them back out. And I got Claude's paper and he had written some shit. He was a kid from D.C., man, and he had written this story about like a vampire. It was this weird shit and it was so fucking good. And I mean, this is freshman year. We're like fucking 18, 19 years old. And it was so fucking good. And I was like, we had to rate it one through five. And I was like, yo, this is a fucking five. This is this dude is dope. And so later I found out he rhymed. And I was like, oh shit. Like he <laughs> he can write. Like he got baby to rhyme. And so he would rhyme too. So were, the, were his rhymes like gravediggers? Like No, no, right. <laughs> it wasn't that. It wasn't the horror core. It wasn't like the flatliners or nothing. It was like it was just super, you know, just super like MC shit. And so he could freestyle really dope. So the two main guys on campus were me and Claude. Wow. And so uh and you know, we were we were in class together and stuff. And uh later we ended up doing a record together for uh, a group he had called Dirty Water, but he passed in uh he was killed. He was killed in mm. twenty god, thirteen, fourteen, mm-hmm. something like that. But uh but yeah, so that was kind of my rep. I, they people knew I could freestyle, they knew I could rhyme and stuff. And so once I quit football in ninety nine, that was when uh it was like in ninety eight I wanna say. Um, that was when I was just like, you know what, man, like I wanna go after what I wanna do. I wanna go after what I do. So I went like head first. I was in the theater department for a little while. Mm. I took some drama classes. Um knowing that that would like help you build some type of personality or like yeah. put yourself out there. Yeah, or? that was something I, I did drama because it, it scared me. And 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 I was like, I have to if I wanna get better, I have to do things that scare me. Hmm. And, and 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 drama was something like because I, I used to have an extreme fear of forgetting my lines, you know what I mean? And that was, like, the scariest shit to me, like, to be in a play or something and, like, just to think, like, damn, if I forget my line, this is going to fuck up everything. It's one thing if you're stepping on stage rhyming yourself and you're rhyming and you forget your rhyme. It's like, ah, oh, I can freestyle, I can bullshit, I can do whatever. But if I'm in a play and I forget my line... I'm fucking it up for everybody else on stage. It's a different kind of team sport. Oh yeah. my god, yeah, it truly is, man. And so, so I, I, I got, and I took some drama classes. And uh, by the I way, Eric that. is afraid of snakes. Are you serious? Yes, but it, but I'm not, I'm not gonna go fuck with snakes, <laughs> then. Like, like fuck that. <laughs> you gonna go good in the snake pit? Let, let that stay. Face like, your fear. No. Well, no, no. I mean, we're in the music industry, so you <laughs> yeah. know, it's all. Well, yeah, you have no choice. You're in the snake pit already. It's <laughs> copperheads all around, y'all, motherfuckers. <laughs> Yeah, dude. So that was my thing, man. So I did that. I did some drama classes. Um, me and Pooh at the time we were making records together. Me, Pooh, Shondon, and Knife. We had a group called Gimme, and we were. How was just, that spelled? G I. It was G I M M E, but it was an acronym because you know this is oh, like. Sure, oh, yeah. yeah. Come on, now. yeah, yeah. Because you, you, you really put your thought into the name. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, I, 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 I like Clan. Good. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're <laughs> yeah. good. So Gimme was sure. an acronym, which stood for God. 
I murdered many MCs. Wow. Wow. Such nice. Yo, by the way, <laughs> sort of into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of feeling it. When you started off with God, I was like, you, you were like spitting religious shit? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not at all. So we were like doing records at the time. Knife was, uh, he was a student. I don't even know if he was a student there. Let me not lie. I think he was just on campus and living on campus at NC State University, yeah. which was like the big kind of, it was a big uh uh, white school that yeah. was in Raleigh, and they were like like a big kind of tech the wolf farming pack. school, yeah. the wolf pack, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so he was there, and so we had a little dorm room which was about as big as this kitchen, uh, so enormous, so hum- yeah. humongous, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. spacious, yeah. too big, yeah, vaulted yeah. ceilings, the whole nine. <laughs> I'm glad we have the egg crates so we can like just like you know <laughs> give us some authenticity, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. dude? So yeah, man. So he was uh, he he was he had a room 308, and so he's there, and he was making music. He was the first guy I ever saw. The, to make music, to make beats on a computer. And so up until that time, I mean, it was just all SP, you know, you were pushing buttons and he would be sitting at the computer, like making, clicking the mouse. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, yo, this is how I make my beats. I was like, oh shit. And uh, it was him and this other cat that ran with us, Leroy McDowell. He, actually he was the one that started. I think he kind of showed Knife how to do it, but Knife would just be sitting there. And I was like, you made this shit on that? He's like, yeah. I was like, all right, fuck it. And so um, I've been doing beats like on my own, but once I met Knife, I was like, all right, I don't got to do this shit. Good. Like I just, yeah. He, if I made beats, I would want to sound like him, but he sounds like that already. So let me just focus on writing my rhymes. I don't got to bother with that shit. And yeah. I was more than fine with it. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, so we just started doing stuff um, in Cool Edit Pro. That was the program we were using at the time. And, cool Edit uh, Pro. Yeah, it's now. I think now it's called Adobe Audition. I don't even know if the shit even like. I think it. I think it's still. I think they still make it, but um, but that's what it is now. And so we were just doing records, man. We would just start doing records, um, and just kind of just finding our voices. Um, me, Pooh, uh, Sean, Don, and we would just make records that we would just go record, and uh, that was it. What was the first one that actually like started to hit? The first one that started to hit, well, I thought, okay, we might have something. Mm. We had a record called The Finest, and he sampled. God, what did he sample? Knife sample. Oh man, I could have to. I'll send y'all this shit. Matume's um, juicy fruit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. As he sampled you being he by like, Matume, we we gonna put our own spin on it. Nah, he sampled, but he sampled something just as R and B. He sampled. It was an Alexander O'Neill song, mm. and it was so crazy. Like I just found the sample like a few months ago, and I texted him. I was like, dude, this is like the latest pass in the history of late passes. I just found the finest sample. He was like, yeah, man. So he sampled, what was it? Okay, he took the Alexander O'Neill sample. I can't remember the song. And then he took the finest by SOS band and he chopped that and put that in the hood. And when I was thinking, I was like, well, yeah, it makes sense that those two samples fit because they were both Jam and Lewis productions. So, yeah. I was like, so it makes perfect sense that they would match. And um, that was like the first song we did. And we were all like, yo, like this sound like a record. You know what I'm saying? We kind of got something. And uh, that was at the same time I found out that I was having my son. Congratulations. So, yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't congratulations then. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? And so I called Ninth, and I was like, yo, man, I got something to tell you. The song like, sounds dope. Right, 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 right. I'm like, man, I got something to tell you. The song is dope. I said, but I got something to tell you. And he was like, man, it's funny you called me. He said, I got something to tell you. I said, holy shit. So my son is 17. His daughter is 17. She's like, I think two months older than my hood twins. Yeah, hood <laughs> twins. Yeah, we were both risking it all at the same time. So, so yeah. So that was the first record. Give me the, the finest. That was the first one. I was like, okay, cool. And so then we break. We broke and went to school. I mean, went home for the summer. Came back, 
And um, yeah, man, we just kind of got back into it. And then by that time, this is like, you know, the end of my senior year, 2000, 2001. Um, no, after I graduated, I'm sorry, after I graduated Central, um, I got a job working at Blue Cross Blue Shield mm. and Ninth was still making beats and we were doing, uh, he was making beats. By this time, he was really starting to find the sound. He was just cranking shit out left and goddamn right. And so it was a song called Speed and originally it was supposed to be me and my homeboy Median on it and uh, Ninth did the beat. And so Median just didn't show up. Median was like just in the wind. I don't know. He He's still like that to this day. <laughs> I love him. But he's just kind of just kind of a floaty out kind of guy. But uh Pooh was like, well, I was, I, he was like, I get on him. We was like, all right, well, let's let's rock. You know what I'm saying? So me and Pooh did that record, and that night, that was the first time we was just like, yo, I think we got something, and we became little brother. Well, what is success to you at that point, man? I think, yo, you know what, man? Success to me at that point was just having a place to go outside of my boring fucking job where I could make music. Like that was all we cared about. I mean, those early days, like. 03, 04, 05, like, I mean, we just cut like fucking madmen just because you're just so happy to create. You're just so, you know, just for the sheer thrill of creating. And I, and I even tell people this now, I'm just like, man, make things that you like because that may be the only satisfaction you get from the shit. It may not, you could make the record of your life and it sells jack shit, you know what I'm saying? But enjoy that moment, enjoy the creation of it because that may be your only payback. Like it was, it reminded me of something I read in this book. I was reading a voiceover book just from like famous voiceover guys kind of giving their, uh, you know, opinions and just advice and stuff. And this one guy, he was saying, he said, you know, I read for everything. He said, but you're not going to get most of the stuff you read for. Most of the shit you read for, you're not going to land for whatever reason. He said, but I look at it like fishing. He said, I go out and the story is not I caught 10 fish or I caught 100 fish. The story is I went fishing. That's that's what it's about. It's the stories. I'm out on my boat. I'm chilling. I'm drinking my beer or whatever. Maybe, did I catch something? Maybe. Did I catch something? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Regardless of what I caught, the fact is that I went fishing. That's the story. And so with music, it was at that time, that's all it was. We were just happy to be fucking fishing. Amazing. That was it. What was your job at Blue Cross Blue Shield? Oh, God. I was a glorified fucking assembly line worker, pretty much. So I would call the, uh, uh, work in the call center. Mm. And uh, basically, you work for state health plan, and so you were over benefits for people over the state. So any state employee, they had this insurance plan, and so they would call. And it was, I don't know, now I'm thinking about it, now I'm talking <laughs> to this shit. I always work some traumatic fucking job. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah. I moved on from the fucking Dow yeah, Corning, yeah, 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 you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Shit. And I moved on to cancer and shit. So, uh. dude, so this shit, like, I would get calls, and very, sometimes they would be cool, but most of the time they were not. And so at that time, I remember the plan had a limit. Your insurance plan had a limit of $2 million. Now you talk about fucking Obamacare and all this shit. The lifetime minimum, I'm sorry, the lifetime maximum on this plan was $2 million, which sounds like a lot of money until you need a fucking heart transplant right. or until you Chemo, get cancer. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. So it would be people that would be calling and you have to explain to them. They're like, so, okay, let me... It's like, okay, so just be straight with me. So you're telling me my wife has cancer and you're not going to pay any more money. And you're just sitting on the phone with her. I'm just like, sir, I'm so sorry. Like, I, if it was something I could do, like, I wish... Like, this is even before, like, PayPal. I'm like, dude, I'll yeah. PayPal you, like, 20 yeah. bucks, dude. Like, just... <laughs> you, it, and, and you just have to explain to these people, like, we're pretty much just going to let them die. 
And I was just like, so after about a couple months of doing that, I was like, fuck this. Yeah. I ain't doing this shit no more. Like, it just, I, I saw like, okay, if this is what life is after graduation and you just kind of become just a working stiff and you don't do anything for you, you're going to age very quickly. And I was like, man, I can't do this. I got to at least go for what's mine. And my son at the time, he was young. He was like two. And, um, you know, I had a two-year-old and I didn't know how I was going to pay my rent. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I was just like, man, I got to give it a go. Uh, what does your girl think of this? And what does your mom think of this? My girl, she knew. Because I had quit several jobs. Like, all my jobs, I kind of... You are great at quitting your job. Man, I'm do you fantastic. Do you, like, do, like, a blaze of glory sort of thing? I really think I should. I need to get a... I need an ESPN 30 for 30 yeah, yeah. on how I quit all my jobs. So, I quit Blue Cross Blue Shield. Then I got this other job working, like, security. I was doing, like, security at this fucking... Uh, like, you know, like the... Uh, like the security guards that walk areas and shit. I was doing that. Uh, I did that for a little while. Quit that job. Then I had a job working retail. Quit that job. And uh, my girl at the time, so my last job I quit, it was actually before I was supposed to work a Black Friday. I was working at this store called Belk, which is like a like a Macy's, like a, a department store. And uh, I was supposed to work, man. And my manager was like, all right, well, you know, we'll see you tomorrow. I was supposed to come in at something like at five in the morning, some insane fucking time. And I was like, yep, I'll see y'all. Yep, I'll be here. And I just went home to my girl. <laughs> I went home to my girl. And she, I was like, I said, baby, I ain't going back to that fucking place. And she was just like, yeah, I know. She, she, was, she was like, I know. So at that time, I, Chris was coming up. And so I, and I've told this story before, but I just, I just tell it just to kind of show, you know, people that, you know, this is how you can do it. This was the mindset at the time. So I knew because you got paid every two weeks. So it's like, I know, okay, this Friday I got a full check coming, but then like two more Fridays that next, next Friday, I got another check. This is like a little bit. It might be like 50, $60. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, okay, with this check that's coming Friday, I can pay my rent and that'll buy me some time. And then this next check will come that it might be like gas money. I pay a light bill or whatever. And I just got to get to the holidays. And so once the holidays came, we went to see her parents. I think her parents gave us like $200 for Christmas or whatever. And, you know, I was able to like pay my rent, like flip that over. And then that February, I want to say, um, that was when little brother went on our first tour in California. And we came home. Well, we did like, I think it was like two weeks or a week or something. I can't remember. And we came home with $1,000 a piece. And from that point on, that was that was the last time I ever worked a job. Wow. Who was the promoter who brought you out to California? Oh, my God. I don't know who the promoter. I think the promoter, it might have been Benny B, who was the head of ABB Records. And he had us booked on, like, this fucking, it was, I mean, Chitlin Circuit of Chitlin Circuit of Chitlin Circuit Tour. Like, we played, dude, we played, like, a fucking pizza bar one time. Like, we're, like, <laughs> on this little stage, and it's, like, people ordering pizza and shit. They're not here for you. <laughs> At all. <laughs> Bro, it was, I mean, we played some shitty fucking gigs. I mean, we did some gigs, like, where, God, it might have been, like, five people there. But we just, I mean, we were just having fun. Again, this was my first time going to L.A., uh, going on the West Coast. And I was just like, man, fuck it, we out here. Like, you know, it's girls here. Like, yeah. fuck it, let's just do what we do. And uh, But that was the first time. And, uh, yeah, we came home with a $1,000 a piece. And from that point on, I was just like, okay, if I can make it happen this month, then I can keep doing it. And so it just, from that point on, I was just like, you know, you just go from vine to vine, just swinging each month. Man, you know I mean, that was it. Um, how did Benny B or whoever 
took you out there? How did he find your music? Um, he found our music through the internet. So at this time, this is when like OK Player mm-hmm. was like ground zero for like mm-hmm. a lot of shit. And so we were just, you a commenter? You know, just like talking shit about yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Like if some of my homies like dug up old posts of me on OK Player, like they would hate my guts. <laughs> we just, I was just like a young college hater. Like we hated on everything. Like, right. It was just, it was, we were terrible people. Equal but, opportunity hater. Yeah. Equal yeah. opportunity yeah. hater. Yeah. We hated yeah. on yeah. everybody. <laughs> and so yeah, bro. So like we, um, we just started doing. Uh, we did, the first couple records we did. Uh, it was a homie of ours. This cat named uh, Slop Slop Funk Dust. My homie T, he's out of Tampa, and uh, shout big ups to him. He, we had just posted just songs that we made. Doing this is before you could even post them, because this is before, like you know, Z Share and SoundCloud and all that shit. So we would just send like hard copies of our stuff to our homies, or we would like you know send stuff through IM. That was the big thing. <laughs> and so, uh, and so my homie, homie T, he heard it, and he just reached out, and I didn't know him from there. He was just like, "Yo, man, I'm a fan of your music." I'll build like a little splash page for y'all just to put your joints up so people can hear it. And we was like, all right, cool. And so he made like a little splash page where you could click and listen to the songs in flash. He put it up and I want to say in like like a day or two, we crashed his server. And he was like, man, I don't know. He's like, yo, like, like, dog, y'all crashed this shit. Like everybody's like coming to it. I was like, where? He was like, yeah, man. Like, so we had to build like a bigger server or bigger whatever yeah yeah to get you know the more shit and so from that point on um the stuff just kind of started spreading so somehow it finds its way to uh this cat id in davis uh who's out still in the bay now and uh he was working for abb at the time he reached out to me through another promoter that i knew in the area this cat named bum rush my homie shaw he reached out to me and was like, yo, ABB wants to get in contact with you, my homie Ian. I was like, all right, well, give my number, tell him to call me. <laughs> and they called me, and, I mean, that was it. We just kind of started talking, and uh, we ended up signing with ABB. Not the most lucrative move we could have done. <laughs> hey, yeah. we made $1,000. Yeah. Uh, hey, and that was about all the money I saw this year. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, man, so it was, you know, it was an experience, but well, that was how it started. So you're a young man. Do you know what you want from the record industry at that point? Man, not really. I think, you know... I just wanted to make records. And the funny thing is we were like this close to almost doing the record ourselves. And um, I'm kind of glad we didn't. Um, I think we probably would have made more money on the front end, but uh, we had we need that experience. And so, and I tell artists this all the time. I mean, I, I'm not really a proponent of the major label system. I, I don't think it's a one size fits all kind of thing. I mean, if you're making, you know, Katy Perry records, then by all means. But and just to be clear, were you making Katy Perry records? Not yet. I was okay, more yeah. of a Jesse J kind of guy. Oh, okay. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was yeah. More, I was more of a Robin now, now record. Now you yeah. say it, yeah, yeah. You yeah, yeah, totally yeah, see yeah. the influence. Super European, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. So, yeah, dude. So, it, it was like, you know, if you're not that, then it's very hard to make the major label system work for you. And so, but, you know, if you have that opportunity, um, I would say to take it, if for no reason, than to demystify it. I mean, you always, you're your kid, and, you know, I remember looking at records and, you know, you're seeing the Def Jam logo and the, all the, the famous sleeping bag records, fresh and all this shit, and, yeah. like, you know, wanting to do that. But then you get on a label and you be like, oh, man, this is, <laughs> this is not what I thought it was going to be. So I'm thankful that it's, we got it because I never want to be a person that looks back and wonder what if. I, you know, we truly took every opportunity that was available to us and some of them panned out and a lot of that shit didn't but i walked away knowing you can know for sure okay i know that that was not the route for me i yeah. don't have no question we tried it it didn't work the way we wanted it to work 
but I know for sure. And so, um, yeah. So at that time, man, yeah, we I just wanted just to make records like that was that was it. And labels will they will prey on that. You know what I'm saying? Not saying that Atlantic did or, or anything like that, but just labels will use that. You know, if you because as a kid you're just thinking I just want to make my music. Like you're not thinking that these records are essentially your retirement plan. Like you're not thinking that like yo the concept of publishing royalties and how because again this is me i can't speak for anybody else in the group yeah but to me like as soon as the record is done i'm over it it's like it's out it's done Fuck yeah it. right. the next one yeah you're not thinking that this shit is could possibly be playing 10 15 years from now you know so i tell artists all the time man like treat your songs your songs are investments your songs are like plants that you're planting and it may just be a little shrub or you may look out your window and it'd be a goddamn oak tree you know yeah. you never know but treat them as such treat them prune them take care of them like own your shit because you know in the music business ain't no goddamn 401k ain't no fucking retirement plan ain't no help like it ain't none of that shit you you only get what you put in so you have to control that well stuff. and the business was so much different back then too because now i feel like you put something out it can live forever because streaming is forever yeah, yeah. um and Until the rights owners take that shit off, <laughs> yeah, right. you know that, that didn't yeah. happen. But yeah, yeah, for the most part, yeah. But but back then, you you make something and you really did just want to move on right after you make that first record. Yeah, you and that was my thought. So like we made the listing, and uh, I remember we had a meeting with uh, we had a meeting with Jive, and uh, met another guy just, up here, just, up here in mm -hmm. New York, mm -hmm. and just I'm like just even talking about this shit, man. Chris Lighty, he was another one, yeah, just you know gone too soon, and uh, but he was super cool, and like we met with him. And uh, he was telling us about, I'll never get the story. He was telling us about, he was like, yo, man, I love y'all record. It cuts through a, the clutter. It cuts through a breath of fresh, it's like a breath of fresh air and all this and that. And he was like, man, you know, I remember he was talking about his time at Def Jam. Mm -hmm. And he was like, man, I was at Def Jam. And he said, man, I was coming straight off the Mr. Smith album. And I think he was surprised that. I don't think he knew I was a rap nerd as much as I was. <laughs> you know what and I mean? And an LL fan. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't think he knew. I was like, dude, like I know what you're talking about. And he was just like, yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? He was like, yeah. So I did Mr. Smith. And he said, man, I was the man at Def Jam. He was like, I was the fucking prince of that. I could get whatever I wanted. He said, and so the next record I did, it was it was this record called Crew. And I'm like, dude, I know, bro. I had that album. Like, what the fuck? Like, Pronto and all that shit. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, yeah. He's that like, album. Yeah, right. Yeah. That yeah. album. Yeah. He was like, yeah. He's like, and he kept saying it to me. And I know he was like, Seth, yo, I like this kid. He's like, I like this kid. I like this kid. And so I was like, yeah, man. I was like, I love that fucking album. And he was like, yeah. He said, but it didn't sell. And, you know, he, the point he was just trying to make was just that I, I saw he was just like, you can make the record that you love and, it may not move, you know what I mean? And you have to be prepared for that if that shakes out. It doesn't make the record any less uh, meaningful, but it's just, you know, you can put your heart into this and that shit may not go, mm, you yeah. know what I mean? And uh, and I never forgot that, man. I never forgot, but uh, they wanted to sign us and you know, he was over there at the time and we ended up going with Atlantic, but mm -hmm. um, but I, I never forgot that meeting, meeting with uh, meeting with him. I remember sitting and meeting my manager at the time, Big Doe, he asked... Uh, Wayne Williams and they he was I fuck with them they were so straight yeah. up and Wayne yeah. Williams yeah. Like, he's super OG fucking R. Kelly's guy he was like a house music yeah. legend yeah. Yeah. And, and chosen chosen few DJs and so big ups to him my man Terry Hunter and uh, Chicago and so 
my, I remember my manager, because Warner Brothers was just sniffing around us at that time, too. My then-manager, Big Doe, he asked him. He was like, well, I'm going to just ask a question. And I just put my head out. I was like, what the fuck is he about to ask? And he's like, yeah, so when y'all think of Warner Brothers, what do you think? He asked this shit in the job meeting. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? I'm just sitting there shaking my head. And Wayne, without a beat, he was like, whack. <laughs> Whack and, the th- and and he but he was real. He was like, "Yo," yeah. and 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 it was so he was like, "Yo," anytime I see Warner Brothers logo on a record, he's like, "It's whack." <laughs> and for a while, that was the story. Like, cause I mean, I would buy records and shit, and Warner Brothers, like their hip hop shit was fucking garbage. They mm. couldn't get none of that rap. You yeah, know what? None yeah. of that shit good. Yeah. And so I respected him for keeping it. So I was like, "Yo, I fuck with Wayne," cause that's. As a you know rap nerd yeah, and yeah. buyer, that was the truth. Like if you saw somebody on Warner, you knew that shit was suspect. You still didn't sign with them. <laughs> we did not. We didn't sign with them. We ended up signing with, and that was not as us signing with Atlantic. That was kind of more on ABBs. Than yeah, us. I mean that well, kind of. What was you know. your relationship like with your A and R at Atlantic? Shit. Well, who signed? When we had one. Well, who's who signed? Did Jason Flom, who was running? Nah, Flom. So Flom was there. I oh, actually, Craig Cowan. We interviewed Craig, Craig. was there. Okay, yeah. So man, we had. We were just. Oh God, we just came <laughs> at a bad fucking time, bro. So at the time, our A and R proper A and R was Rob Tulo. It was Reef. Oh yeah, yeah. It was Reef. And mm-hmm. so again, me, Rapner. I'm like, yo, I know you do. I know, like, we talking, like, big beat records, and I'm talking to Craig. I'm like, yeah, Artifacts and fucking Double X Pies. I'm like, dude, I got all this shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm like, I know you motherfuckers. I've been reading y'all names for years. Like, I know this. And so Reef was, um, he was our A&R guy. And so, and I'll never forget this. He was like, we, we turned in the record, and he said, he was like, yo, he said, man, I love the album. He said, this album is great. He said, but... The one thing I will say, he said, it reminds me a lot of Stakes is High. And I'm just, I mean, you tell me that. I'm like, shit, motherfucker, we done arrived. Like, Stakes is high. And he said, and I mean that just in the sense that, you know, you have to be careful because for a long time, after Stakes is High, Daylight, that was how they got the rep as haters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He said, and you kind of, you got to watch that. And it was just such an eye-opening moment for me because in all my years of listening to Stakes is High and just loving that record, listening to that shit front to back, I never saw it that way. But he was somebody who was a couple years older than me. He was in a generation kind of above me, so he had a totally different view, and he saw it in a different way. And he kind of had the foresight, I think, to see what was going to happen with the minstrel show in the sense that it was going to be a record that people are going to love but you're going to piss a lot of people off, too, and it's going to take a long time for you to kind of, if not necessarily clear your name, but to for, to give people a full understanding of right. what you're about. It's not just, I don't like this and fuck y'all. It's just about, listen, we want to elevate the craft. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, so that was also the same day, uh, coincidentally, that we were in Reef's office and we saw boxes being packed up. <laughs> and we were just looking like, dude, what the fuck? So... He ended up leaving, yeah. and so we were pretty much just kind of left to the, you know, we were by ourselves, and later, me and Reef, we talked, and he was like, yo, man, you just don't understand. He's like, man, shit was crazy. I had to get out. You know, he ended up going, I think he ended up going to Shady or something, yeah. if yeah, I'm yeah, mistaken, yeah. and, uh, and, and big big shout out to Reef, man. I haven't talked to him in some time, but, uh, but you know, it's no hard feelings, nothing like that. He should, I, I know how I go. Did you deliver your finished product to them? To them, to them. The, the, the miracle of the minstrel show is that it came out. And to me, that is the most, 
that is the thing that I carry with that. I carry with me just through the whole thing. Regardless of what it sold, what whatever, we literally took a record out of our computers in North Carolina and said here, and they took it and they put it out. That's the record you brought to Jive. That's the record you brought to. Well, you know what? Well, shit. At the time we were, uh, with Jive was sniffing around us. We hadn't even finished the Minstrel Show. Jive at the time, they wanted to just re-release the listening. They were going to clear all the samples on the listening. Wow. And even them saying that, I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> Wait till you find out what the fuck we sampled. <laughs> and so um, they were just going to clear all the samples on the listening and then put it back out. They were going, they wanted to do a re-release. Oh, my God. And we were just like, mm, no, like it's Because, again, we're over the record. Like, yeah. it should have been out like a year. That's we like, yeah, whatever. So they want to re-release it and then, you know, Put us on tour and do all this shit, but um, by the time we got to Atlantic, we were just like, look, you know, we want to, we had, we were well into it. So by we signed, I want to say in '04, and then we finished the record. I want to say sometime in '05. Mm-hmm. I want to say something, but uh, but yeah, and so Guru mixed it, but everything, I mean, it, everything from the skits to the layout, to everything that was all us. Wow. And uh, they took it, and you know, they took a gamble on it. And um, I'm always, I always be thankful for that. Where were you when you found out that the source had given it uh, four and a half mics and then took a half mic away? Man, where was I? I was, I was here. I was, I was in New York at our apartment. (laughs) Actually, yeah, this used to be something else. (laughs) Nah, man, yeah, I was, I once, I was here at, uh, we were at Atlanta. This is when Atlanta used to be on, uh, on Broadway Six. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, fiftieth and um, fiftieth and six, yeah, right there. So it used to be there, and so if you remember, it was a. it was like a record store. Was it like a Blockbuster music? It was not Blockbuster. It was it was a record store that was right there on that corner in the same building. I can't remember what, what it was. But um, I want to say it was around that same time, man, that we were just up here. I think we were doing press or something. And um, and my manager, Doe, he was just like, man, like, he was like, man, they tripping. I was like, what you talking about? He was like, well, man. So apparently what it was, the record was... Jeezy's record that came out at the same time, Thug mm-hmm. Motivation, um, which I think is a classic record. You know, mm-hmm. I think Time is like, I mean, for what I remember when that record came out in like every downtown locker room store you went into, <laughs> yeah, Jeezy was fucking like he was the man everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that record was everywhere. And so at the time, I want to say the the rating that they gave it or the editors gave Jeezy was like three and a half, mm. and you know. I was like, shit, but they gave us four and a half. And so it wasn't popular for us to get a higher rating than him because, I mean, he was the fucking man. You know what I mean? So as I understood, as it was told to me uh, by my man Fahim, uh, Fahim Ratcliffe, um, that was the big point of contention. Like he wanted to give it, I want to say he actually thought it was a five and then it went to like a four and that was what he walked out over. Then they ended up giving it like a four and a half. You know what I mean, so you know, man, it was just one of those things where you just learn very quickly just how political the shit is. I mean, I remember being in like meetings and they were talking about like the Lil Kim album, the that was like, the, yeah. that was, classic. the naked truth, and, classic, and it got, <laughs> it got uh, five, five mics, which. But that's Come on. Yeah. yeah, and I, I mean, re- but you weren't sleeping with with uh, Dave Mays. <laughs> I was not sleeping your, with Dave Mays. That, that, that might have been your your. Maybe that's what it took, <laughs> yeah. and if that's what it took, goddamn it, I'm happy with four and a half. <laughs> but dude, but yeah, but I mean, I remember hearing how, and they were just so casual, like yeah, like Kim's about to get five, and this and that, and it was just, I mean, you imagine just as a kid that grew up of the source is like your bible, like to hear this shit, like oh yeah, they're gonna get five because X Y Z and so on and so on. You just like. <sighs> 
Oh my God, <laughs> dude! Like it's nothing sacred. It's, <laughs> it's nothing sacred. Yeah. So so yeah, man. So that was a crazy time. Like those. That was a time that. Like I said, that was boot camp. It was mm-hmm. boot camp. It was training for everything. And just going through that, going through that scrutiny, going through just, you know, the fire of just the criticism and the misunderstanding and, like, feeling like a failure. Like, I, I mean, I tell people all the time, like, you know, we did, I think the menstrual ended up doing, like, 100,000 records or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you would have thought we damn failed. You would have think we bankrupted motherfuckers' pensions or some shit. <laughs> You know what I mean? You killed Amit Erdogan. You know, right. Me personally. You know what I mean? Like, Amit lies here. Right next to the Ray Charles records. Because Mr. Show Flop. I murdered many many executives. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Amit Erdogan was one of them. Yeah, dude. Like, you, yeah, but you sell 100,000 records and they think you fail. You know what I mean? You feel like a failure. But now, let somebody sell 100,000 pure. Yeah. Not stream, not none right. of this bullshit. Right. Oh, one hundred thousand pieces of media or downloads, or whatever, in twenty eighteen, I'll throw you a fucking parade. If you do that <laughs> in like three weeks, they'll be happy. Like, man, <laughs> yeah. listen, like for real. So, so yeah, it was a learning experience, man, and it was just, it was really tough. I want you to tell your worst BET meeting, and then we'll tell ours. Yeah, 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 yeah. man. Well, you know what? So, oh, yeah, we have a good one. Funny thing, I never really had a BET meeting. Like, I by the time, so when all this shit jumped off with loving it, and we had got word that apparently they said we were too intelligent and all this shit, I was just like, by that point, man, honestly, I was just fucking over it. I was just mm-hmm. like, dude. Let's just go on the road. Let's just get this money. Like, fuck this shit. I was just fucking tired. And so we never officially had a meeting. So when it came up, um, we actually did, uh, they called me to do the Cypher, the BT Cypher in 2007. And um, my homie did T-shirts. I had a homie, he made T-shirts. And I was just like, I said, yo, man, <laughs> I need you to make me a T-shirt. And he was like, all right. All right, cool. He said, what you need? I said, you know what I need. And he was like, all right. <laughs> so he made me a T-shirt. And, uh, you know, we got to the awards and shit, walked the red carpet and shit. And uh, we get in, we sit in our seats, and I see Stephen Hill. Mm. And I'm like, yo, what's up, man? What's up? He's like, what's going on, man? What's up? And I open my jacket, Ooh. and I have on a shirt that says, too intelligent. <laughs> and he was just like, oh, you wild for that. You wild for that. And so that was it. But, um, but yeah, I never had, I never had like, official meetings. Like, by the time I actually did have, like, a, I went up there, it was, like, way after the album was done and out. And I went up there, and I just took a picture by the logo. <laughs> and I was, like, I tweeted. I was, like, this is Fonte reporting live <laughs> from behind enemy territory. <laughs> and, like, it shit was, like, it went kind of crazy. Actually, that's why you're friends with Andreas Hill. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Our stories, like yeah. me and the dude, that's a whole his BET story. But but that was the thing. So when that happened, there's another instance of where you never know what the common experience is. So once my shit happened, dude, I started getting hit up from everybody. I, I started getting up from everybody, people that formerly worked there. They was like, no, Tay, like, you not crazy. Andres is one of them. That's mm. like, yo, that's my brother. That's yeah. my man. Yeah. He was like, Tay, he was like, no, you not crazy. He was like, man, you don't understand how fucked up shit is over here. And he was just running it all down I was like god damn so yeah that was a that was a crazy time man alright well we have our BET story yeah uh, oh shit uh, 2011 um, so we we started out doing sketches like weekly SNL type sketches yeah, yeah, yeah. about hip hop right like so everything having to do with like topical stuff that was going on every week we would do a new fresh sketch every Monday morning at 9 o'clock and uh, and we got the attention of BET. They were okay. just like, we're very popular online. They're like, let's have you in for a meeting. So the number two guy over there under Stephen Hill was 
was like, will you please come meet with the head of development? We're like, of course. So we go down there to uh, 57th Street. Okay. And we go up to her office. And we're, no, we're, we're sitting in the lobby uh, on the BET floor. And all the interns are walking by. And they're like, it's the real. Oh, my God. Wow. Like, what's up? What's wow. up? And we're okay. like, okay, cool. This is great. And then they call us down to this woman's office. We sit down. First thing she says is, why do you think that you are able to comment on my culture? And we're like, she goes, what gives you the right? What gives you the right right to comment on my culture? We're like, all right. (laughs) And like, you know, obviously we know how to handle that question. And, you know, so Eric starts talking about. Well, I, I had said, like, look, like our obsessiveness with like hip hop, our love of hip hop, our knowledge of hip hop goes way back. Like, I remember just, you know, falling in love with hip hop, the days of like. Arrested Development, yeah, yeah. and she goes, "I love that show." And we were like, "Wow!" <laughs> also, love wow. that show. <laughs> wow. Like, uh, yeah, no, the 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 group, the actual yeah. group, yeah, uh, the, yeah. But okay, yeah. <laughs> I love that show. Yo, I'm, and this is a black woman. Oh yeah, yes. oh yeah. I, shit, I ain't never watched Arrested <laughs> Development, not the show. Wow. Yeah. But you know what? But that doesn't surprise me, man. Like, it, and this is a conversation that, like, me and Amira will have just a lot of times about how, like, people don't realize how conservative, like, black people are. Like, I mean, like, you see, yeah, I mean, like, you know, black youth drive the culture and they drive hip hop, and you see, like, all these cats popping, whatever. But, like, their parents are, like, secretly some of the most make America great again motherfuckers mm. you ever will. Like, I have a, a friend of mine. <laughs> a friend ben of mine Carson? That's a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. Like, Ben Car- Yo, bro. So, friend of mine that's a lawyer. And, you know, we just chop it up. She talks about, like, jury jury selection and shit. Yeah. And she says, she was like, listen, I tell, she's like, I love, you know, my people everything. She said, but if ever, you know, if, you know, when we're going through jury selection, she says the people that I always try to get dismissed are older black men. Mm. She said older black men are just because there's, there's like a hardness there, which I get as an aging black man. I'm not quite older, but right, like, right. you know, but I get how that mentality comes but because it becomes of if you're an older black man and you just went through hell to get where you are and you see this 17 year old kid fucking off your mentality is oh well shit and you know i didn't do that shit and mm. i would you know and so it there's kind of a hardness is there and so there's not really a lot of compassion mm. it's like well i made it why the fuck can't you make it you know what i mean mm. so she was just like yeah i she's like any i see old black men on jury pool she was like i get them the fuck out of there <laughs> and i was like man that makes total sense so yeah the fact that she is making that comment but yeah, at the same time thoroughly enjoying the rest of the development <laughs> when it was on tv not the netflix yeah, yeah, issue. let me be clear For the record. this is the original pressing so, 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 after the minstrel show doesn't do what Atlantic had hoped, and and maybe after like you know that that wave was coming to an end, how did you know it was all right to move forward? Um, I knew it was all right to move forward when you know because again we just talk about like what's your what kind of what your token is. At that point, my thing was let's just get off of the label. So we had signed a three album deal with ABB. First album was The Listening. Uh, second album was The Minstrel Show, which kind of rolled over into the Atlantic deal. And then once the Atlantic deal ended, we had one more album left, and it was Get Back. And so at that time, man, I was just like, you know what? Once this album comes out, we're done. Like, I'm, we're free. Like, I'm free forever. And, um, you know, that was just kind of the thing that just kept me going. I was like, man, now I can finally make music um, without any label interference. 
and I can kind of see what's what's like for me. So after that, we did get back in 07 that completed the contract. Were you all on the same page? Um, You know what, man? I don't think so. I'll be real with you. I, I mean, you know, not that I've been bullshitting this whole time. <laughs> Everything I've been saying is a fucking lie. You <laughs> didn't play football? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't play football. I was into Kylie Minogue, actually. No, yo, no, dude, seriously. Like, I, I think that was, and, and I won't speak for Pooh, but, but me and him had this conversation, like, years ago where I think he was more of a person that was like, well, maybe I would give it a try at another label. I would give it another, you know, if another label's talking, maybe I'll see what's up. And after Atlantic, I was adamant, like, fuck this shit. We can do this shit ourselves. Like, fuck another, like, dude, I don't care. And so I think for a while, but specifically between me and him, I think that kind of may have been a bone of contention. Like, just that I kind of spoke for the group. You know what I mean? And and I did apologize to him for that. I was like, man, you know, I'm sorry uh, for kind of, you know, being overbearing in that way. But, you know, that was that was just where I was at the time. And I, I'm sorry I didn't uh, consider your, your feelings on it. And, um, you know, man, but that was that was where it was. And so after we finished that, we did a get back and uh, that completed the contract. So then after that, um, me and my buddy Zoe, who is the musical director for the Foreign Exchange uh, when we toured, my man Zoe, uh, he, me and him did the Zoe and Tigolo Love the 80s record. <laughs> and that was just us just having fun, like covering songs that we like. You don't have to report to an A&R. You don't have to worry about any At executives. All. This was, yeah. And it was just something we did, just like limited pressing and, you know, and we just did it. We did it on our own. And so from that point, that uh, we saw that was successful. And so then that kind of rolled over into me and Nicolay, uh, my partner in foreign exchange, we did leave it all behind. And uh, we th th actually this year marks 10 years of Effie music. That was when we started our own label, Effie music. And we put out leave it all behind in at the end of 08. And we were nominated for a Grammy, <laughs> which you expected. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I totally saw that coming. Totally saw it coming. So how did you know you were ready to do your own solo record? Man, I think it just got to a point where my first album, once we finished, um, once we finished uh, uh, Get Back, and then I did the 80s record with Zoe, and that did really well, and then I did Leave It All Behind, and we got like a fucking Grammy for it. I was like, holy shit. Like, I didn't see, you know, we well, got nominated, rather. Right. And so then we did another Foreign Exchange album. We did Authenticity in 2011. And so at that time, man, I was, you know, Authenticity was 2010, but, um, so at that time, man, I just was like, okay, what haven't I done? And the only thing I hadn't done at that point was uh, was be uh, do a solo record. So in terms of music, that was the only thing you yeah, had. That was yeah, 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 one of the few things I hadn't done. I was like, I haven't done my own solo record yet. And to be honest, I mean, even now, man, like I I say this all the time, and people they don't believe me, dude. I had no desire to go solo. Like I never had that moment of, oh man, I can't wait till this. Dude, I couldn't give two shits about that. Like, I never cared. You know, it was something that I much more enjoyed, like, working, you know, within a group and just kind of, like, I, I always always saw myself more so as um, just kind of being in service of other things. You know what I'm saying? Like, helping, like, write for and produce other artists and just kind of, you know, one of my biggest influences was always uh, – from a production standpoint and just what he did with his career was Eric Sermon. Mm -hmm. He was somebody that I always liked because he was someone who his influence shone through and he would come through, he'd kick his verses and stuff, but what he did for Keith, what he did for Red Man, what he did, like, it's like, I, I love that, man. And that was kind of how I always saw myself just 
you know, you're going to shine, but, you know, let that shine through other people. You know what I mean? Like, give other people that really want to do that. You know, put the battery in their back and let them go. You know what I mean? And so I had no interest in doing a solo record, but it just got to that point. I was like, you know what? Let me at least kind of do one for the history books, right? And you had so, something to say. Yeah, I feel like I had something to say. I was like, all right, well, fuck it. Let's just do it. And so I did it, and it went really well. And then people were like, oh, so when's the next one? I was like, seven years no, from now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, next. Like, no, nah, that was, no, nah, that was kind of it. Like, yeah. I didn't really, you know. And so, yeah, I, I mean, dog, it's, so even with this record, with the new records out now, No News is Good News, that was something that, had been marinating for a while and uh i worked on it off and on for like shit two three years and then my life just kind of went haywire for a minute and then i was like well you know what i had a break off from filming i mean from taping uh, quest love supreme and so i was like you know what i got like a week and i'm just gonna finish this shit come hella hot water i'm finishing this fucking record so like the first half of the record was like like i said a period of like two three years and then the last half was done in a week so <laughs> well how close because you announced it back in 2016 yeah so like it, how close was it to being done oh, for you dude. at that time like were you like oh you want to know what like i can do this and then like life just hit yeah oh man it was like it so i made the mistake i totally i totally did um so this was the idea but you know i fucked up so <laughs> i totally sold sold the skin before i killed the bear mm-hmm. right so the idea was me and Nick were talking. I was just like, yo, man, we kind of be on some Marvel shit. Like, you know how Marvel be just popping up? Like, yo, Black Panther 2, summer 2022. You know what I mean? And it's just like, they ain't got note to fucking first, right, but it's just like, right. motherfucker, it's coming. It's like, oh, shit. Four years from now, if I'm still alive, I can see Black Panther 2. So I was like, yo, what if we start treating our records like that? And he was, he was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And for a while, it fucking worked. So... We announced at the beginning of the year we had three projects lined up, and so the first project was Zoe, his record uh, Skybreak, mm. which I pretty much like co-wrote, co-produced everything on that, with exception of two songs. And so it was his record, and then it was uh, Tigalero, which was a con- uh, collaboration album between me and my man Eric Robeson. And so at that time when we made the announcement, Zoe's album was probably like eight songs in. Tigalero was maybe like. Two, but I knew I had time, you know what I mean? And then my album, I had maybe just like a couple sketches here and there. But I was just like, I know I got time or whatever. I can get it. I can get it done. And I was working. And then all of a sudden, man, like life just started lifing like a motherfucker. Yeah. So like my dad died. My dad and my granddad died in the same week. Which um, is just. Yeah. yeah. Like, like days. A lot. I mean, yeah. a lot. Yeah, man. So they, they died. Then, you know, the end of the year, my uncle got killed then it was uh you know me and my lady we bought a house then it was the breaks yeah you know what i'm saying i was writing all the rhymes for that then um you know amir's uh, business manager sean calls me he's like hey man so we're gonna be doing this podcast we want to bring you on <laughs> you down i'm just like i guess so yeah cool and quest of supreme starts so like all this oh and then for a moment i was working with um oh god uh this guy's a uh, base thomas the guys that wrote uh, How I Met Your Mother, mm. they were they had a show for a little bit uh, that they were pitching. It was a music-based show, and they wanted to bring me on as a consultant producer for that and, like, to do rhymes and stuff for that. And, um, you know, the show didn't get picked up, but for a minute, that was the thing. So I was having meetings with them. And, and the HBO show? The HBO show. Okay, so the HBO show we did, I shot that. and That was uh, Diallo Brothers and Bashir. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so we had a show called Brothers in Atlanta, which – 
For the most part, I mean, it was kind of like adult contemporary Atlanta. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was yeah. like yeah. a little it, smoother. Yeah. 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 But it was still it was grown and sexy. Yeah. 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 Hard bottoms only. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hard yeah. bottoms only, Atlanta, yeah. baby. <laughs> but the shit was funny. It was funny. It was edgy. It was funny. And so um, we shot that pilot in like 2015. And then 2016, they came and they were like, yep, it's a go. And then like a couple months later, they was like, it was nah. not a go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? So yeah. all that shit was going on. So yeah, so like life just happened. And that was just a point where I was like, man, I, I had to just throw my hands up. I'm like, dude, I can't. I, I gotta, I can't do it. So then 2017 rolled around and you know, we were in the thick of um, you know, uh we weren't doing I think was that the breaks then? I think we were still well, no, 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 we weren't. That was, was when the breaks was in like it's it was it was going back and forth with with the uh, BT. B- yeah, yeah, yeah. The Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Our new fall lineup. <laughs> so, dude. So, yeah. So, 2017, like, shit was real. That was when, you know, I got married. Me and my lady got married. And so, it's all the business of planning a wedding and doing all that. And then, you know, it was just um, shit. My mother. My mother had a heart attack mm. in 2017. And, you know, that was, like, at the top of 2017. So, dude. It was really just one of those things where just life, like I, the lesson I learned over those years is just surrender. Yeah, you just have, sometimes it's just like you know what, you just have to put up the brakes. And I, it was something I really felt bad about because I had always delivered to my audience. I'd always, you know, I've never, I've never pump faked on no shit before. You know what I mean? You know, if I say I'm gonna do it, it's gonna come out. And I always never missed a date. And all my, I've never missed a date. And that was just one of those times I was like, man, one it's, of those it's out of my hands. It's about like 10 of those times. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. It's out of your control. Yeah. And so finally I was just like, well, you know what, man? You know, at the top of this year, I was like, well, we had this time off from QLS. I said, man, I'm not carrying this shit with me into fucking 20, into March of 2018. I said, me and Nick, me and my partner, Nick, like we sat down. I was like, look, man. I have this crazy idea so if you think it's too crazy just please talk me off the ledge if you think i'm going too far i said look man i think we can do it march 2nd that's the date i'm aiming for and he was just like all right and we wrote it down and i said just come hella high water and the album will be out march 2nd and he was like all right and that was it i feel like we have to wrap up in a second yeah but so just a few quick things sure uh, so uh on the cover of um your 80s covers album <laughs> Was that the original wig, wig that you went with? That was the original wig. <laughs> okay. That was the original wig. We wetted it up, you know what I'm saying, with some, <laughs> some good old activator. Yeah. And uh, I found that, where did I buy that wig? I think I bought that wig from like a costume shop in uh, in, 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 in Raleigh. And uh, yeah, that was the original wig. I knew I wanted like the, the shoulder length curl, mm. like the Stoney Jackson curl. <laughs> and then like Zoe, he had the Howard Rollins in the heat of the night curl. Like, he had the short curl. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so that was, you know, to express the duality Actually, of us. Let me get my James Lipton on. Uh, can, I, can, can, can I talk to Percy Miracles? <laughs> Man, uh, Percy, okay, yo, okay, okay, I, I, will, I will let this be known. So Percy may be making a reemergence. All right. Oh. Another one. He may be coming back. I got some things in the works. All you right. know, people do come to our podcast for breaking news. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It is. Um, nah, he may be, he he will probably be coming back in an, in another form. Uh, I'm really excited to do How many times a day do people hit you up and beg for Little Brother to reunite? I hit, I hit it a lot. You see I it? Get, oh, God. Yeah. I hit it all the time. Yeah. But, um, you know, it used to be something that really bothered me, but I just realized that that's just something that it really struck a chord in people's hearts. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, the same fire, what's it say, though, the fire that cooks your food, you know, burn down your house. It's mm. like, it is what it is. It's like, you know, that fire that made people just so fervently 
buy your records and come to your shows and all that. I mean, that fire doesn't get extinguished just because you stop doing it. You know what I mean? It's still there. So I respect that. And I've, I've come to just accept that as a part of my life and of my story that people will always <laughs> ask for. And, um, you know, it's something I don't have an interest in doing. I think me, Pooh, and Knife, we've all talked. And my main thing was just um, really just repairing our friendship. Because as as we were talking earlier, you know, I mean, me and Knife, like I, he was my homeboy before I ever even knew he made beats. Knife, Pooh was my homeboy before I ever knew he rapped. He was just my homie that I kick it with in between classes in the English building. We sit outside and bullshit and just talk shit. And then I found out he rhymed like a year later. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was just what it was, man. And so um, so yeah, I, I've I've made my peace with it. It's it's not like a, a touchy subject or yeah. nothing. It's just. That's just a part of my legacy and just a part of, you know, what made me. That's the foundation that started everything. And I just accept it. Yeah. It was um, like the end of The Sopranos. Just You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> yeah, it just went to black. And yeah. When was the last time you spoke to Drake? The last time I spoke. Okay. First off, me and Drake have never had a phone conversation. Never. We've never had a phone conversation. Do you have to tell his phone numbers? I had. I'm sure this shit didn't change eight <laughs> times since the last time I had it. Right. Um, I had his number. It was in 2011, and um, this is when me and Knife had reconnected and we had started working again. And uh, he had sent me. Me and Knife were just talking, and all of a sudden, like I just get this text message, like, "Yo, hey, like you like my favorite rapper man of all time, and you know, I fuck with you, whatever." You know, this is Drake. What I was like. By the way, that's huh? a good Drake. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I was like, dude, I was like, what? And so I hit night. I was like, yo, man, is somebody fucking with me? Is this real? He was like, nah, I'll tell you, it's really him. That's that's really him. I was like, okay. So I shouted him back and I was like, yo, well, thanks, man. And he was like, yo, I got this record. I want to get you on, whatever. And so this was supposed to be for Take Care, I want to say. This is a Take Care album. And uh, it was a record that he had and he sent me just the track. And track was crazy. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to be going in on this record, whatever. I was like, okay, cool. Let's go in. So I did my 16 and sent it back to him. And, you know, don't hear nothing back. Like, nothing. I'm like, yo, did you get the record? Yeah, man, I got it. It's dope. It's, it's cool. I love it. You know, I'm like, okay, well, just let me know when you need next or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that was it. And so, um, so, yeah, so I never heard anything back from it. And he later, I think he was in an interview or something. He saw, like, I think something happened with that beat and what I, I think, I, f I forgot the name of the song, but the song on Take Care, I think it was the one that Just Blaze did. I think that's the one that ended up replacing mm -hmm. what we were going to do because it, cause it had kind of that same kind of energy of the one that we did. So we're mad at Just. No, 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 no. It wasn't Just. I think I think Just was the one that saved the day. I'll, t I'll tell you who the producer was off mic. I'll tell you who it was that kind of, I think, kind of fucked it up. But um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't just just save the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah But yeah. um, but nah, but we never collabed, and so we just would kind of text here and there. But um, but that was it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you know, it's just again, it's just one of those things, like a little brother thing. People ask, when you and Drake gonna do it? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. dude, I have no yeah. idea. Like, just I don't do know. it. Yeah, just do it. Because it's totally on me, yeah, yeah. right? You know what I mean? So nah, dude. I mean, it's another one of those things. Like you know, I'm just glad that you know uh, there is a younger artist that you know gives me you know. The recognition as an influence, you know, it's just as I bigged up all the cats that were before For me. For sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, man, I, man, I make my records and I keep it moving. Well, um, I have one last thing. Okay, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Tell me about the color of purple. 
Oh shit. Okay, man. So color purple. All right. So color purple. All right. So this is back in shit eighty five, motherfucker. I was six years old. And um, okay, so me and my mother, we were living with my grandmother. My grandmother lives in Robinson County. Uh, it's a town called Red Springs, uh, North Carolina. And so this is uh, like you know like uh, maybe forty five minutes from south of the border. Right? <laughs> It all comes full yeah, circle. Yeah, 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 Time yeah, yeah. is yeah. a flat circle. Yep, yep. So, dude, so um, my uncle at the time, my uncle Mike, uh, God rest his soul, he was working at this community college in Anson County, which is a county, like a couple counties over, maybe like an hour or so. And uh, he was working at the community college as a financial aid officer. And that was where the auditions were being held. And so he gave us a call and he was like, yo, they're having auditions for this movie. Um, and, you know, they just having everybody just come out and audition. And we was like, all right, cool. And so we went and auditioned. We drove down. And I remember it was in, like, the summer. And it was fucking hot. And so I went in. And I remember at the time the code name for the movie was Moon Song. So that was just kind of the working title. They were just calling it Moon Song. And, I mean, again, this is pre, you know, Twitter and all this shit. So, I mean, yeah, the online hive mind would have figured that shit out. It was color purple like way before, but um, you know what I'm saying. But at the time, we just knew it as Moon Song, and so I went and I had to 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 audition. And um, I remember my audition. I was six years old, and I remember it was me against this nine year old girl, and she was like tall. And so the audition was, um, you were hungry, and you had to tell your parent. Like to make, make you a jam sandwich. You were hungry and you were angry. You were hangry. It was the real yeah, hangry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, I'm maybe maybe some jam. I'm hungry. And you know, and and the guy, the root, the casting director, Ruben Cannon, he was like, Oh, but I'm doing the best I can. I don't care. Maybe give me some jam. I'm hungry. And so I did my audition, and I was kind of like, All right. And then the girl did her audition. She was scary for real. Like, give me some jam. <laughs> she was like, method. She was actually angry. <laughs> yeah, no, I think she might have been. Like, yeah. seriously. I was like, yo, I don't think she acting. So, dude, so I was like, I walked out of that shit just thinking I blew it. I was like, <laughs> man, I didn't, I couldn't fuck with her. And so um, a couple weeks go by, and we come home to my grandmother's house, and my phone, uh, my grandmother's phone was ringing. And we got home. It was a little late that night, I remember. And we were just sitting. I was in the den, and the phone was in the next room. My mother picked it up. She picks up the phone, she answers it, and then all of a sudden I hear this screaming. And, like, I knew it wasn't, like, tragic, like, somebody died, yeah, right. black mama screaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, like, happy screaming. And I was like, what the fuck that happened? And so she called me. She was like, you got a role in the color purple. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> I'm six, right? Yeah. But I remember, again, I'm just putting it together, and I remember at that time the book was everywhere. So, like, my aunt, you know, my aunts and my grandmother, uh, they were both school teachers. And my grandfather, he was a school teacher as well. So our house was always filled with books. And The Color Purple was a book I remember seeing, like, you know, all over the house. Like, my aunt would read it and my grandmother read it and stuff. And so I was like, oh, so they're making, I mean, in my mind, I was thinking, okay, so they're making, is this that book that I see everybody reading? They're making a movie out of this book? Like, I was like, all right. I mean, <laughs> I'm just figuring out as best I could. So next day we drove down, man, and um, I was on set for, um, I was on set for maybe like a week and I was an extra and um yeah dude I mean it was it was weird cuz like you do it and then when the movie came out I remember my mom picked me up from school early <laughs> to go see it and then that was when I finally put it together like oh this was a movie <laughs> like oh shit 
<laughs> so that was when it all clicked for me of what I had been a part of. And so, um, you know, man, like the um, the, uh, the the local newspaper, they did like a write up on me and was just like, you know, local youngster in Spielberg movie. <laughs> and, you know, I had my little I had like a little dollar I made. I took a picture with it. Um, Danny Glover was your father. Yo, OK, dude. So check it out. Danny Glover. Danny Glover story. There's a picture and like I I can I have it. I, I don't think I have it on this phone, but I have it. I can email you guys. There's a picture of all the kids in the group. So, because in the movie, again, I'm six years old, and I'm just seeing this big motherfucker just beating the <laughs> shit out of these women. Like, just the fucking, just the king of abuse. Yeah, right. And so, I'm like, looking at shit, I'm like, yo. <laughs> so, there's a picture of all the kids in the cast. Like, Danny Glover's in the middle. He's, like, laughing. Like, it's the <laughs> biggest fucking smile. Like, everybody's laughing. All the kids are hanging over him just laughing and shit. And I'm on the end, like... <laughs> fuck that Like I'm scared as y'all Like nah I don't trust that dude. Fuck that It's so hilarious And I'll, I'll, I'll say to you guys But um man. But nah it was an experience I met Danny I remember meeting Oprah Me and Oprah met At the at the deli tray I remember that Crazy Um, Her I remember Steven Spielberg He was married At the time He was married to Amy Irvin And that was when Amy Irvin had first uh, given birth to their son Max mm. And I remember She was breastfeeding And I remember Like I had never seen yeah, I'm like, yo, why is this white woman got her titties out? <laughs> and I was pointing my mom. I was like, boy, don't you point? I was like, mama, she got her titty out. She's like, don't you point it? Yeah, like you ain't seen no damn titties before. Like my mother was like, totally, she gave no. By fucks. the way, she didn't know that later on you were, all you would see at that law firm is titties, titties, yeah, titties. I mean, titties. listen, mastectomized titties, <laughs> brother. So yeah, man, it was her and um, yeah, Danny. I remember meeting him. Um, but yeah, it was it was a crazy experience, man. And um, you know, it's just something that you know, again, it's. You never thought what happened, and yeah. you, you never think that you're a part of something that historic. But uh, well, yeah, it was a crazy experience. Congratulations on that! Congratulations on this new album, and congratulations on your whole amazing career. Hey it's, man, it's I feel like I'm just getting started. No, dude. For like, real. it's crazy. I for really real. do. It's it's an honor to have one of the all time great rappers up here, and it's really an honor to have one of the all time great rapping bananas up here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think I'm, I think I get the goat now. People. <laughs> Put me in the goats of like rapper. I mean, listen, that's your opinion. When it comes to rapping bananas, I'm go. the fucking number guy. One. I'm number one. Fuck anybody else. You whoever. gotta start like using the emoji. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yo, thanks so much for coming oh, through. Oh man, thank y'all for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real Jeff. If you want to find out more about us, I'm Eric, you're Jeff. We are It's The Real. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. And if people want to know where we're performing, what we're selling, what we're doing, what we look like, where can they go? You can always find us at itsthereal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. No apostrophes, no spaces, because there are never any apostrophes or spaces in It's The Real. You can always listen to all of our old episodes and new on soundcloud.com slash a waste of time or go to itunes and search for a waste of time with it's the real you can also listen to our music hey which is for play at spotify at apple music at google play at title at pandora any place that you want to listen to it it is there you can even add it to your station head station listen people should definitely do that yeah you can listen to teddy bear fresh on any streaming platform and by the way that song Sugar High with us and Currency and Smoke Dizza.
It's about to pass 600,000 plays on Spotify. No big deal. Kind of a big deal. Pretty big deal. I think it's a big deal. All right. And then you can also follow us on any social media at It's The Real. That's Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, Instagram at It's The Real. We're also on Snapchat. Someone added me on Snapchat today. Is that right? It's It's The Real. We're still there? Yeah. And then you can also find us on Twitch at It's The Real. It's The Real. Well, you know what? Uh, Twitch is popping, right? Twitch is popping. Um, Drake Drake played on Twitch. Yeah. Drake and Travis Scott were on Fortnite. I don't know what Fortnite is. What's Drake's name and what's Travis Scott's name? It's Dudas or something? Really? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. So it's the real, it's the real isn't so crazy. No. Alright. Jeff, you know this podcast is not going anywhere. Not getting any bigger, not doubling our audience, not getting in new ear holes anywhere. Unless you guys spread the word. We do our part. We spread the word on a daily basis. We're just asking you guys to tell friends, family, and your fans about our podcast, A Waste of Time with It's The Real. And we know that it starts right here, and we like to shout out all you guys. Jeff, who would you like to shout? I want to shout out a few people because obviously. Yeah. And so I want to start off with Yo from DJ Booth. There you go. And I also want to, I had the best conversation with him. I had yeah. so much fun talking to him. Yeah. I also want to shout out um, Kalechi mm-hmm. and the whole Kalechi Collective. Okay. Um, that like includes that. UConn and Midtown Nate. Nice. And Young Chop. Yes. And everybody who's involved in that circle. And I also want to shout out everybody from Audio Mac. We had the best time at their house. and That's uh, Joe Vango and, and Kim Chanel and everybody who was there. Yes. I just had such a good time down South by Southwest. And yes. it was really nice to see people who I don't normally get to see. Yeah. Jeff, I want to shout out Ian, who we ran into at the Action Bronson StubHub event. Ian came up to us and was like, yo, you guys have an amazing platform and i appreciate everything that you do yeah ian was like a super devoted listener and you know what we couldn't have been any more appreciative he was just awesome having a conversation with that guy and he had two friends who one who had listened to a few episodes okay and one who had never listened to any episodes great dudes but yeah at the end of the night yes we'd been talking to them for probably like an hour okay and by the end of it, all three had been with us since the beginning Super of our fans. career. Super fans. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, Jeff, I know you're right here with me. We yeah. want to we want to shout out Amir Abbasi, Mike Shahade, Nur Oznamer, Oz Cohen, Carly Hustle, Dom Maldonado, Jersey Jinx, Rember Brown, Andrea, Hip Hop Mike, Dan Rice, Eric Sunderman, Andrew Barber, Naomi Zeichner, <laughs> Yo, Law Parker. The guys from Mini Hip Hop Museum, Ogden Payne, Johnny Nunez, Trinidad James, 24 Hours, DJ Enough, Peter Caden, Wave Chappelle, bam, 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 bam. Jazz One, Kalechi, Yukon, Midtown, Nate, Josh Gonzalez, Ani, Javier Martinez. Uh, you got any beer? <laughs> Joe Vango, Kim Chanel, Coldway, Trent Clark, Ninth Wonder, Rhapsody, Jay Worthy, Mark Breezy. The Ted from Apple, Rob Stone and Fader, Greg Noir, Ivan, Mario Luigi, Dwight Lazarus, Humble King Cliff, Young Mateo, and a million other people. Now for real, for real. Sure, sure. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Brrrr.